Cada cor brilhou Voltou o sonho então Ao coração Depois deste dia feliz Não sei Se outro dia verá É nossa manhã Tão bela final Manhã De carnaval Canta o meu coração Alegria voltou tão feliz Amanhã desse amor Hi, everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a podcast about movies and other things. Uh, we've been podcasting for an hour and 12 minutes. <laughs> this is going to be a short one, aside from that. Yeah. <laughs> I work... Uh, let me look here. My alarm for tomorrow morning is set for seven hours and 58 minutes from now. So I have to wake up seven hours and 58 minutes you from this You have to finish moment. this recording... Go home. Go home. Find parking, which is a challenge on your street. Well, because I work so early, I'm just going to park in the paid spots oh. because they won't be by it's the time I leave. Yeah, they they they're they're not it, paid yeah, spots it's... from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. I work at seven, so I'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, that'll help a little bit, but then you'll have to go into your apartment. Uh, Get ready for bed. Nora probably, will talk to you about some YouTube videos she's watching. Nora for will like talk to me about YouTube. <laughs> I will play a round of Slay the Spire, and she'll be like, something, 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 and I'll be like, oh, sorry, babe, I wasn't listening. Even though I've played 
700 hours of Slay the Spire. For some reason, I decided not to listen to you for 30 seconds. <laughs> and then you'll finish that why. and you'll be like, what if I get in a little bit of Civ 6? <laughs> no, no, no. When I leave here, Civ 6 cannot turn on. We'll I cannot we'll play a single turn of Civ 6. We'll see. Anyway, there's a lot of fun content waiting for you after Bella Lugosi's dead. Yeah. Uh, if you normally skip that segment, I would suggest not doing that. This yeah, I, w- I would really suggest. You, like... The non-homophobia zone is increasingly the most important part of this podcast, but it's literally an hour and fifteen minutes of content this week. Uh, yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to get into the? Yeah. Okay. So, other movies we've watched. If you're new here, it, it, let me back up just a little bit, slightly. If you're new here, we podcast about movies. In segment one, we will. Um, talk about other movies we've watched this week. In segment two, we will talk about Black Orpheus, which is our main movie. We watched it on. Uh, Friday. Today it's Monday. Yeah. Uh, so we've had a couple of days to sit with it. We're going to chat about that. Do we and even then, say who we are? You're Autumn, I'm, I'm Eve. I'm Autumn, you're Nia. We've been podcasting for over an hour, and so I maybe forgot to do that. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, you'll hear the outro music, quote unquote. And then, yeah, this time there's another bonus hour of show for you over there. <laughs> uh, speaking of bonus hours of the show... For $5 a month at exportaud.io on the Patreon, you can listen to the episode where we did a bracket of all the movies we've ever talked about on the show, 128 movies, not all the movies, but like basically all the movies that we've ever talked about on the show. Um, That's movies we've actually covered and movies we've just watched and care about. Yeah. Basically, if like if we both watched it at some point during the, yeah. the show. Yeah, basically if we've watched it since like 2021 <clears throat> onward. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that's enough intro preamble stuff. Let's yeah. talk about, let's get into other movies we've watched. Uh, I got, I've got three things that I'm going to just clear off this, off the docket real quick. Yeah. Um, I watched Dragon's Fire and Ice. I watched Fire and Ice. And I watched Highlander, The Search for Vengeance. If you go to exportaudio slash export audio, you can listen to the Fire and Ice and Bilbo's Hole episode where I cover the first two of those movies. Um, <clears throat> my wife, Nora, and I watched those two movies. Dragon's Fire and Ice was surprisingly fun for a children's movie from 2007. And Fire and Ice, the Ralph Bakshi film, is fucking incredible. Parentheses. Incredibly racist. <laughs> Great movie. Also one of the most racist movies. Sounds you, like Ralph Bakshi to me. Sounds like Ralph Bakshi. Also, like, I guess it's kind of misogynist, you know. It, it, women always complaining about how they're badly represented in media. Am I right, fellas? I don't know what this weird bit is that I'm doing <laughs> I'm now. Not, I'm not a fella. I'm not, I don't know what this bit I'm is that I'm doing. <laughs> Just to be clear to everyone listening, I'm not a fella. Yeah. <clears throat> and then Highlander, the search for vengeance. Nora and I continued our our search for vengeance against the Highlander series. Um, it's an anime movie. Exportaudio slash franchise to listen to us talk about that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. The search for vengeance episode, pretty good. We kind of just bullshitted. Because we did not enjoy that movie very much, and we googled Richter Belmont's armpits instead of wa- instead of talking about the movie. Um, have you listened to that episode? 
No, I still have to listen to both of those. Okay, well, there's... I'm, I'm like, behind on podcasts right now. There's something for you to get excited about, is, um... Is it Belmont. Harry Ord's spell? <laughs> Open up a new tab. <laughs> what, what am I Googling? Harry, Harry Ord. Ord armpits. Harry Ord's armpits. <laughs> I'll be honest, Harry Ord's hole is a little bit more... <laughs> we can Google that one, too. <laughs> None mm. of these are Harry Ord. <laughs> yeah, try Lieutenant Harry Ord. Oh, yes. Maybe Google is confused that we haven't properly... There we go. There we go. There's there some fucking go. pits. <laughs> this one's funny, because I, yeah. I guess that is an <clears throat> armpit shot, I guess. But he's yeah. wearing clothes. It's like the like standard Harry Ord like, arm out pose yeah. that I feel like is in like the OP or something. Yeah. Now, can you give me... Can you, can you type in hole for me? Give me hole, please. We we are obviously talking about Harry Ord's copy of the hole by Simon Long. Yeah, obviously. Um, disappointing result results for Harry Ord's hole right now. Yeah. Um, what's the, what's that one over there? Uh, this one. That one. One <clears throat> of those could be an O face. Yeah. Not not much not much Harry Ord hole. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've just I've just decided that uh, like being horny for Harry Ord is a new bit I'm gonna lean into. <laughs> you haven't gotten to like really where I just love that man. Highlander: The Search for Vengeance is like a okay movie, I guess. You can listen to exportaw.io/franchise where we kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, next week we will be finishing up the Highlander series. Thank God, because I'm sick of these movies. Um, Highlander Endgame is an incredible movie, and that's available now in the free feed. Um, so check that out. You watched a movie, or you watched about I, 20 minutes yeah. of a movie. I watched a quarter of a movie, I would say. Yeah. It's a little bit more than 20. <clears throat> um, you'll hear all about this in the non-homophobia zone. But um, my toddler was homesick a number of days this week. Uh, and basically the main thing they wanted to do was play Smash Brothers. Um, and so one of the characters that they sometimes talk about in Smash Brothers is Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and I just wanted to get that kid to do something else other than play Smash Brothers. Um, I think his name is Sonic Hedgehog because it's Mickey the Mouse and Sonic Hedgehog. Yeah. You just no selling that, huh? Yeah. You're not even gonna give me the time of day. Yeah. So anyway, I was like, "Well, let's watch the Sonic the Hedgehog movie," and put it on, and we made it. Like, I don't even think Sonic and the like cop met. Really? Yeah, that movie's weird. Yeah, that movie's weird. Um. Anyway, I don't have too many thoughts about it because I only watched <coughs> a little bit of it. I mean, I saw like Jim Carrey for a little bit. Some of that stuff, but there wasn't like we weren't really in it. We were still in this part, this like extended part of it just being like S- Sonic is sad and alone because he doesn't have friends. Mm-hmm. But I I was watching it while I was working, uh, and just looking over, 
you know, it was like a slower period where I put it on too, where I could like maybe, cause sometimes when I'm watching like a movie with my kid, I try to like comment a little bit on stuff mm. to like keep them engaged and, you know, get them to think about what's happening in a movie and what is the yeah. movie doing. Yeah. Um, and so some of that involves me paying attention to how do movies function so that I can kind of hopefully guide my kid yeah. in a way where they're recognizing how movies are structured and things. Right. Yeah. So that they can have like an appreciation for cinema. I like cinema a lot. Mm. Um, and I was watching it and it was like a, a lot of kids movies, especially more recent kids movies. I feel like Pixar was like a big push of this. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of DreamWorks stuff also like that happens falls in this wake where it is this like very functional filmmaking like, there's a scene where Sonic looks into the window where they're watching Speed or whatever, mm-hmm. and is, like, having fun, and then realizing that, he, like, even though he thinks of, the, like, the cop and his girlfriend or whatever as, like, his family, they really aren't. Mm-hmm. He's, like, just looking in their window, kind of being a creeper. They're not making that part a part of the movie, but he is kind of being a creeper just staring uh-huh. in the window. Uh-huh. Um, and he doesn't really have friends. And... The way that you convey that is Sonic's face kind of falls and then he like looks down a little bit sadly and then turns and walks sadly away. And I can like in that moment, I could just so clearly see like this is just like a a stock story, storyboard that happens so much in like kids movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but also so much of Sonic the Hedgehog is like I, even then at that beginning, it could see being set up as like the superhero origin story. Whereas watching it and realizing that this is nearly indistinguishable from the MCU, aside from the fact that like it's just skewed more joke heavy and the jokes are a little bit more kid focused. Mm-hmm. There's still some ad- jokes for adults. The whole uh, speed and like says something about Keanu is more of a jo- joke for the adults in the room than the mm. kids. It's not that good of a joke, but yeah. It's still, oh, they're watching Speed. That's the thing that I watched. I'm an adult, and I watch movies like Speed. Yeah. You know, that's part of what's happening there. We should do Speed on this podcast sometime. Speed's fucking fun. <laughs> It'd be fun to do Speed. Anyway. <laughs> no, we should do Speed. <laughs> but so, I already have too much manic energy sometimes. <laughs> um, but And I was just having that, like, this thing that I kind of knew, but I was just, like, fully confronted with, like, the MCU is also just in the exact same space as, like, people who only read young adult fiction. Oh. Because uh, there's also been these, like, memes going around on online. There was this, like, tw- a, a tweet or something, and people were kind of joking on it. But they're like, oh, like, adult fiction is always just about, like, you know... Uh, couples getting a divorce or whatever. Yeah, I like a... The, there was a thing... We love getting mad on Twitter.com. Yeah. Um, there was a thing that I was specifically mad about because people were... There was like a, a thread of like, why do you prefer young adult fiction or something? And it was like, well, adult fiction... And this was like a, a common theme of responses. This was not one person. This was like... Multiple responses had things of this nature. A, a significant percentage of the responses. Adult fiction is about boring things like divorces. Young adult fiction has like drama and romance, and it's not very challenging to read. Like the, yeah. a, a specific thing. Uh, recurring is, is that like adult, quote unquote, adult fiction is like a, a chore to read, basically. Is, is challenging either in like it uses big words or complicated sentence structures 
Um, it which takes a while to read. Yeah, which all of this I would, I would reject this narrative <laughs> um, that somehow adult fiction is more challenging to read. Um, I, I think that is just made up nonsense. Uh, but also just the idea that well, because it is challenging, I don't like it as much. And it was just like, what are you fucking doing here? Why do you read books then? Yeah. Why do you read books if you don't want to learn something? And so I just had this moment. And the way that I kind of thought about that just like fully sat in my brain for a while as I was watching Sonic of being like, the MCU is just, is just this extension of like so much of popular culture right now is just young adult. Yeah. Focus stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I also talk about this when we talk about anime, like Shonen is just over and above the dominant. Yeah. And this is like true in Japan, but is even more intensified in the West for various economic reasons. But I think also some of it is specifically the Japanese market seeing what the West responds to. Uh I think there's just like a weird, and it's also this thing because you see so much of like, uh, there, there's this like rejection of feminine fiction that also occurs with like a lot of women readers mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, well, I want the boy adventures of like s- spaceships and everything. And it's like, I see where some of that comes from. There's this like long history of like girls have like romance and princess and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then there's like all there's this like seeming variety of stories that are being told or like, like toys that are available or whatever. But it's, like, interesting how so much of that flows in one way where, like, oh, it's 2023, we're all very enlightened, so now we write fiction where women can be the adventurers and the dashing heroes. No one's ever... Mm, I don't want to say there, this. There I don't isn't that same significant, uh, like, explosion, I think, of, like, more feminine yeah. storytelling. Yeah, there is. there is... Uh, a thing that has become very common is we can put women in genres that are traditionally like quote unquote male you know we can have the female advent- action adventure hero but you don't get just a like <clears throat> yeah like romance stuff being just a generally popular thing like that is not like like romance or or um, you know, princesses, that is still stigmatized and still, like, dumb and bad, yeah. you know? And there are, like, exceptions that, that rise out, but that are still often, like, dumb in their femininity, like Twilight. Mm-hmm. Which, there's so much stupid stuff in, like, science fiction as well that's, like, in the same stupid things that happen in Twilight. Right, well, and... and But it was slightly different tones, because it's less relationship-focused or whatever. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to pull apart with Twilight, I guess. Yeah. That, like, I, I don't feel fully equipped to, because it's been 15 years since I read those books. I do really like those books. Um, but, like, the, the Twilight can uh, become so popular because, in some ways... It is a feminine fiction thing that is still compatible with a very Christian morality. Yeah. Um, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, there's a the whole thing where I watched the movies and talked about the project of Twilight as desexing the vampire. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, if I, if I was going to have a Twilight take, I would want to revisit the books because the books are what I care about. And I, yeah. I, w- I will, without having read them since I was 12 or 13 or whatever it was, I'll go to bat for the Twilight books. I think I think there's a lot of fucked up, bad, racist, uh, misogynist shit in there. 
Um, I also think that like the the backlash to it was extremely misogynistic in nature and like uh, undeserved. Um, yeah, not uh, not undeserved, but the 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 backlash to it was not about how racist those books are or about how uh, ideas about women's reproduction and and all these sorts of things. It was not about that. The backlash was about this is popular with girls. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I guess I'm also kind of reflecting on it just because I feel like there's a certain amount of like, and I'm, I'm talking to some degree about like stuff that I have gone through and mm. also just like a broader generational thing that I'm seeing that's caused by like very economic forces, but there's this like arrested development that has happened mm-hmm. for a lot of like, adults of my general age range Mm. and a lot of that is just like the economic crash means that like most of us will never own a home Mm -hmm. uh the idea of like starting a family is like a bizarre for a lot of people is like a difficult or bizarre thing you are one of the few people i know that wants or has children and you know and this is also colored by like queerness but not entirely Mm mm-hmm um, yeah, they, it, most of the people I know are queer, and so, like, an access to having children is just a very different question. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, access to you having children was a very difficult proposition that we don't need to talk about on this podcast. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It was a difficult process. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so, like, all of this being, like, there, there's these, like, markers that these, like, cultural markers of adulthood that have existed for a really long time and that have also been like denied but that also doesn't mean that like you know boomer generation or whatever was not also con- consuming like a lot of there's also just like this broad american culture obsession with youth i think mm-hmm. um that is taken various manifestations but that currently is this like deep fascination or like fixation on young adult media mm-hmm. that is like easy to consume and mm-hmm. all this stuff which uh, of course also existed you know yeah. you watch american blockbusters and yeah i think some of that stuff is a little bit more difficult than what the mcu is doing but not yeah not... like like speed is like speed is like i think marginally more for for adults than like iron man 3 is but i don't think it's like that much more yeah <laughs> Uh, I actually, uh, my next movie, I think, could fit into this conversation in an interesting way. If, yeah. If you're ready sure. to move on. Yeah. So I, I mean, want... this is mo- this is my, basically my point, which is I don't really have a, like a final take or solution to it. Just that yeah. like I've been reflecting a lot about how much like there's this concept of young adult and that is just like a thing that so many people uh, in just like my general age range seem like fixated on. And I, mm-hmm. I don't. And some of it is, I'm not even saying it's, like, entirely immature or something, but there's just, like, a, as somebody who cares so much about, like, the form of things and, like, experimentation and Mm. uh, finds things that are difficult or things that are incomplete or that you have to, like, puzzle through but not to reach some sort of very clear defined answer, Mm. but instead to, like, figure out your own thing from it. All that stuff is, like, deeply valuable to me, and why is this just so absent from, like, culture? Mm. And I think some of it is that it's just often been kind of absent from culture. Yeah. But also, it it is manifesting in a very specific way right now around, like, this idea of young adult fiction, mm. young adult stories. 
So, the movie I watched that I'll actually talk about it at some length this week uh, is Once Upon a Time in China, um, directed by Sui Hark, uh, released in 1991. This is one of the big breakout roles for Jet Li. Um, Jet Li goes on to star in the next four Once Upon a Time in China movies, if I remember that right. They made six. He, like, leaves for five and comes back for six or something. Um, Sui Hark is... um, a massively, massively, massively popular director in China. Um, this is a beyond, um, like, you know, Jet Li getting, like, this is one of his first, not one of his first big roles, but the role that is, like, takes Jet Li from, oh, yeah, Jet Li, to, like, Jet Li, one of the biggest movie stars in human history. Like, Jet Li was... It, it is hard to to understate how massive Jet Li was, you yeah. know? Um, <clears throat> but but even besides him, like, Jackie Chung is, like, a minor comedy character. For people who don't know, Jackie Chung is, like, the most popular singer in China, yeah. like, ever, question mark? I don't know that much about Chinese popular music, but, like, going by, like, Wikipedia, seems to be the most popular singer in China ever. And he is a like comedy clown character in this movie who's wearing like buck teeth and uh talking slow because intellectual disabilities are funny. Anyway, um Once Upon a Time in China is a weird mess of a movie. Um and and, and I found it interesting because it is such a massive massive hit. Like I say it's spun out into six more movies and a TV show. Um and I did not like it very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's just start there. Of, um, I put this on because I knew it was a massively popular, massively successful wuxia film. Um, Sweetheart is specifically known for like how elegant his um, wire work is, um, how how expertly choreographed the action scenes are, and like that is true. <laughs> Strictly speaking, that is true. <laughs> These are very well done action scenes. To what end? Uh, <laughs> not really sure. <laughs> um, this is this is uh, once upon a time in China is the story of Jet Li as like this hero who's going to defend the the martial arts school from um like. There's Western imperialists who are trying to, like, you know, erase our our good Chinese way of life. There yeah. are um, the the government stooges who just blindly follow whatever you know, whatever bureaucracy uh, says, and don't don't really think with their hearts and their souls. Yeah. Um, and Jet Li shows them the true way of, like, you know, defending the the honor of your homeland. Um, and I, it's a very, very explicitly like, you know, very explicitly like building a Chinese national identity. Like that's what the project of this movie is, is like, what does it mean to be Chinese? We will represent what what is the good version of that and what is the bad version of that? And what are we protecting ourselves against? It is, you know, Western influence. Uh, I, I, I don't say any of that to be critical. I am not Chinese. I have no um, like... I, I that is not my realm to speak on. Like I don't yeah. like that's what the movie's about, and that's like what I saw in the movie. But like I I can't speak on that. 
Um, what I can speak to is that, like, I wanted more ass-kicking. I wanted, like, cool wuxia shit. And mostly what I got was, like, goofy tomfoolery. Because the re- the thing I put together, this is how it ties into the last thing we were talking about, is that this is truly, like, a movie that you can bring the whole family to. Because it starts with some ass-kicking. And then we have lengthy scenes of, like, comedy pratfalls for the kids. And then we have very light romance plot for, you know, mom. And then we have more ass-kicking for dad. And then we have so, so much more comedy pratfalls for the kids. So many comedy pratfalls for the children. (laughs) And a seeming, seemingly unending uh, (laughs) uh, variety of comedy pratfalls for the children. Yeah. Um. So much. It's funny when people are fat. So much. It's funny when people have intellectual disabilities. Um. That I just found this movie wildly unpleasant. <laughs> it just did not give me the thing I want. I came in wanting a King Who movie. You know. I came yeah. in wanting Dragon Inn. I came in, um, wanting that, and that is not what I got <laughs> in any yeah. way. Um. And the other the other thing is. For being the movie that made Jet Li into Jet Li, it is shocking how they just totally don't know what to do with his character or what his, like, on-screen persona. Um, you compare this to, like, Hero. The, the no, no doubt in my mind, the best Jet Li movie. Jet Li is stoic. He is the picture of honor. He is the picture of, um, like, like, doesn't say a word. And he'll just destroy your whole shit, you know? Um, And in this, he is, like, a leader. He is a hero. He is, like, you know, all these buffoons around them. He's going to, like, lead them into into victory. Um, But he just doesn't quite work in that way. Like, you need, like... You need a Jackie Chan in this movie, honestly. Like, you need, like... Because Jackie can do the comedy stuff yeah, and then can turn on hero mode. Whereas Jet Li is kind of always the one heroic guy who's not doing pratfalls or surrounded by these buffoons. Yeah. And you can still do that if you know how to like play him as the straight man and all of that. Yeah. But that's still, that's like a, that's a harder thing to do than just having he's kind of, he's Jackie kind of just... Chan doing it. He's kind of just there. He kind of like doesn't react to a lot of the buffoonery happening around. Yeah, him. I've seen Jelly movies. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and like, when you watch good Jet Li movies, you're like, oh, he's not reacting to this at all. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a stone cold killer. Like, <laughs> but this movie, it's just like, it just doesn't work. He just feels kind of very flat. It was so weird to see, like, oh, this is the movie that made him into who he is. And they don't have any idea what they've got on their hands. Like they don't know. Yeah. They don't know all the things that he can do. You know. Um. Also, yeah, just not enough ass kicking. Simply not enough ass kicking. <laughs> yeah. There's even um um, uh, what's his name? He's in this movie too. He's not Jackie Chan. He's not Sammo Hung. He's the third person in Dragons Forever. Um, you've Googled Once Upon a Time, <laughs> which ran for seven seasons. Um, 
Uh, it's, is it? It's uh, not Donnie Yen. It, it's Yun Bao. It's Yun oh, Bao. Oh yeah, Yun Bao. Um, he's in this movie and he's kind of the best part because he's like, he like shows up like midway through and is sort of also. That's so Yun Bao. He's, yeah. And he's sort of also doing the like. Like, I, I don't fully remember because I was high. Um, but I think he's got, like, a different martial arts school whose honor he's trying to defend. And so he teams up with Jet Li partway through the movie. Um, and he's, like, kind of the best part of it. But also he's he doesn't show up until partway through. And at a certain point, I was like, what is his storyline? Like, I, I understand that he's... Like, I understand that he's here. But I didn't actually know... I didn't actually put together what his storyline was supposed to be <laughs> yeah uh it's a weird it's a weird mess of a movie very very <sighs> very surprised at how i did not j- jive with this you know very surprised yeah. at how this did not click for me um but it happens yeah anyway black orpheus talk about a movie that clicked for me yeah black orpheus uh fucking ruled yeah it's a good fucking movie so black orpheus also we we didn't do any of the stairwell readings for the ones before. Uh, you did A for Dragon's Fire and Ice. There's a cool spiral staircase made out of ice in that movie, and then yeah. a dragon blows it up. And then F for Fire and Ice and Highlander. And then we Fi- have question marks for the yeah. Fire and Ice takes place during um <clears throat> uh, a prehistoric time before stairs were invented, and Highlander: The Search for Vengeance. I don't remember if there were stairs, even if they were. That movie's not very good. I was going to say, uh, I feel like stairs were invented pretty early, but I guess there is a period where it is just kind of a slope. Yeah, that there's a lot of which, slopes, a lot of hills. Which is kind of ironic because then we invented stairs and we made thing lo- things more accessible to some people, but less accessible bro- more broadly mm-hmm. than just having a gentle ramp. Yeah. Can't get a wheelchair up there. Yeah. Really hard for old lady with stiff legs to get up those steps. Yeah. Anyway. Um, if you're ever building something, you have a choice between stairs or a ramp. Ramp is going to be more accessible. Yeah. Um, anyway, I say all this because Black Orpheus, some of the best goddamn fucking stairs we've ever seen in a movie. Let's start, let's start there. Black Orpheus, directed by Marcel Camus, released in 1959. We can talk about the rest of the movie in a minute. We need to address how these are the best stairs we've ever seen on this podcast. I don't know... Best use of stairs, debatable, highly debatable. There's still like, so he like rides this elevator up to this uh-huh. like bizarre like place for missing persons, but it's all just like fluttering paper. And there's this janitor who's just like sweeping it up and is like, you're not going to find the person you're looking for here. You need to go to this other. This is like going into the whole Orpheus. We've mess skipped kind of stuff. so far ahead. We've skipped to the 80 minute mark of this movie. <laughs> but this is getting into like the whole going into the underworld and seeing. Yeah. And so that's, I just want to say that this is like the part where you are then like entering into the underworld is going down this extremely Huge. ornate store staircase. And you see them like going around too. Yeah. They like, like a, linger on it. There's like a like massive, massive like spiral staircase with levels to it. Uh, and these like slight curves. It's j- it is best use of stairs. We can debate. I probably pale flower is still at the top of the list. Visually, the best stairs we've ever done for this show, bar none. 
Like, yeah. bar none. Um, What did we do for, for Pale Flower? Uh, I assume we gave it an S. Well, yeah, but sometimes we get cheeky with it. You know? I think that we, the only time we've really gotten cheeky with it is, like, uh, we gave... That uh, that one Anya Svarta movie about stairs, we gave it a um, uh, a an ornate S. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we just did S. Yeah. I didn't know if we at least did like an S plus. No. But yeah, so S. Yeah, S for stairs in Black Orpheus. Let's just. I'm glad we got that out of the way at the top. So, directed by Marcel Camus. Um, I'm not really familiar with what else he did. Um, but it's not really pertinent right now. This is released in 1959. This was shot over a period of... Uh, I watched a conversation with him. It was months, if not years. Um, there was not much of a film industry in Brazil, which is where this film was shot. Um, this is all, These are all non-professional actors. Um, Marcel Camus uh, put this script together about... Um, like um the legend of orpheus happening at carnival in um in um rio and uh was waiting for like spent like seven months scouting locations throughout rio while he was waiting for funding it sounded like a pretty bad time (laughs) um i mean as sounded like a bad time being broken rio but also like maybe a good time i don't know (laughs) yeah uh, shot this movie, um, put it together, um, and it is a huge international classic. It is also, um, as I have learned, a little controversial for some people feel it exoticizes um, Brazil and Carnival. Um, and we can we can talk to some extent about that, I feel, as we get a little further into this. But also... We're two white people. We're two white people who have never been to Brazil, so like maybe not fully our place to speak on it. I We can lightly address it. Yeah. Um, plot summary, real quick. It's gonna be it's gonna be really straightforward. There's a guy named Orpheus. Maybe maybe you've heard of him. Um, he's gonna get married to this gal named. Yeah. R- I hear that there was an Orpheus before him, mm-hmm. who is the master of the guitar. Yeah. And after him, there will be another Orpheus. Yes. But for now, he is the Orpheus who is the master of this guitar. Yes. So Orpheus, um, it's the day before Carnival. Um, uh, uh, Orpheus is going to get married to this gal named Mira. Um, he meets a gal named Eurydice, and he falls for her. Um, also, just uh, aside, uh, if your name is either Orpheus or Eurydice, mm-hmm. and you meet somebody with the other name, just like I, I would just give up. <laughs> I'd be like, well, my life is fucked now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it, I've i read enough Greek myth that even if I try to resist us coming together and then that ending tragically, somehow my resisting will become the thing that makes it happen. I don't even... Yeah. I, I'm just I'm just fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, also, I should address, because this film is all in uh, Brazilian Portuguese, um, his, his name is Orfeu. Um, her name is like... ADC. Um I is gonna yeah. really get at me for I can't Portuguese is written so much like Spanish, but when I hear it it sounds it sounds closer to French. 
I speak just enough Spanish that it really just fucks me up and I cannot follow Portuguese at all yeah. half the time. My Spanish is not very good, but it's good enough that I like Portuguese is like sub- somewhat impenetrable to me. <laughs> uh, whereas I feel like if my Spanish was better, I would wrap back around. Yeah. It, w- it would become a, uh, like something that would assist you yeah. rather than hinder you. Yes. It's the same as uh, like me studying both German and Icelandic, and there's just times where they just, like, fucked each other up. Uh-huh. Because I was not that good at either. Uh-huh. So. Um, so, Morpheus <clears throat> falls to this girl Eurydice, but he, he, and he sleeps with her the night before Carnival, and then, like, he wakes up, and he probably should tell Mira, but Mira's real mean, and so he doesn't want to tell her about the whole marriage being off. It's funny how from, like, the jump, they just fucking hate each other. They, these two people have never liked each other. <laughs> um so that like things get bad and and that carnival uh Mira gets like jealous and she um uh words 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 she is going to try and kill Eurydice Eurydice has arrived in Rio because there is a, a very unpleasant man who was stalking her yeah, who you'll only ever see in, like, uh, death costume. Right. Which so... means that, and he doesn't talk that much, and often is, like, kind of just gesticulating in a way that's, like, kind of, obviously it's supposed to be sort of this weird uh, mythic symbolic force within the story mm-hmm. that's being told. But the vibe, just me watching it now in present day, is suddenly just like a, a toku villain man yes. just hops into some of the scenes to like menace people. Yes. <laughs> so like the, she's like this man was stalking me and I thought he was going to kill me, and much like Eurydice's cousin in the movie, <clears throat> I was like, oh, he was like a suitor. Uh, he was he was pursuing you. No. This is like a weird man in a Spider-Man skeleton getup. <laughs> yeah. Um, Who so, just wants to kill her. Yeah, just wants to kill her. So Orpheus and... It, it, fast forward to Carnival, back where we were before I remembered to mention that. Mira sees and she's like, I'll kill her. Um, and We uh, also get this like swap thing that's kind of important for the myth where um, it's what? Her sister? Uh-huh. Seraphine. Her cousin. Her cousin. Uh-huh. Um, who is, like, going to go as the Queen of the Night and then has her, has Eurydice put on the Queen of the Night costume, which has a veil to cover the face, mm. in order to go sort of secretly be there with Orpheus. Mm. And so... Um, then there's a part where she, like, lifts up the veil. Yeah. And then... So Mira so, and Death will see her. Mira and Death see her, and um, Death chases her around, um, and she ends up in this position where she's like hanging on a wire, and she's screaming for Orpheus to come help her. And Orpheus, um, not knowing that she's hanging on a wire, turns on the lights, and electricity starts running through this wire, kills her instantly. Um. So then. He doesn't believe it. He and he gets knocked out by death, and he's separated from her. And so he's looking for her. Um, ends up in just like 
city hall question mark which looks like hell which just yeah hell is bureaucracy i mean there's the hospital <laughs> at first and thinks that he sees her but then it's some other person wearing a similar costume some great was... stairs in the hall some yeah. incredible stairs in the hall uh or in the hospital not the hospital yeah yeah it was like running up the stairs to try and yeah follow the elevator and then um again i don't think it's her and meets with um, a guy who had a mythologically significant name that's not coming to me now. There's Hermes, but that's not who he meets in the in the city hall place. Um, yeah, who who is the? I don't remember. Distraught looks for her in missing persons. Although Hermes has told him she is dead. Oh yeah, there's also uh, Hermes. Hermes. Yeah. Who's um. A guy that he works with. And the Wikipedia summary out. is not providing me a name for this janitor. But the janitor yeah. takes him and they go past this like guard dog named Cerberus into this place where people are like dancing and singing and like speaking tongues, basically. Like, yeah. um, I think speaking tongues is a like very specific like Christian term. And so probably not fully applicable here, but I don't know the. Yeah, the summary here says that it's. A Macumba ritual, a regional form of the Afro-Brazilian religion, uh, Candomblé. I don't know if I'm saying those words right. Yeah. So, apologies. And so, in this moment, um, like, Eurydice is able to speak through this um, old woman to Orpheus, and she says, like, don't look back. In a, in a sort of, like, half, don't look, don't turn around. But also, like... You need to move on with your life. Don't look back at the thing you have lost. You know, move forward with your life. Um, if you look back, you're doomed. We're both doomed. Uh, Eurydice speaks through this old woman and Orpheus because it's the myth. He turns around and sees that it was just the old woman. It wasn't really her. Uh, and from there, he's just fucked. <laughs> um, Distraught. Yep. Uh he, he leaves, um, and his buddy Hermes is, is able to um, find um, Eurydice's body. And so Orpheus takes the body, and he's going to walk. He walks her all the way home, which is a long-ass walk, especially to be carrying a corpse. Yeah. Um, and he carries her home, um, and he doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't have a specific plan. He's like, oh, I'll bury you. At the flowers at home or something. Yeah. Um, only to find that, like, Mira is burning his fucking house down. <laughs> um, uh, and then it's like, uh, I'll fucking kill both of you. I'll kill you. And then throws a rock at his head while he's standing on the edge of a cliff. Which one? Throwing a rock at his head. Already attempted murder. Yeah. Uh, edge of the cliff. He just goes over the edge of the cliff. And then she's like, no! Uh! It's like... <laughs> You know, you would not... Bitch, you killed it. You said, I'm going to kill you and threw a rock at his head. Yeah. <laughs> she was all... She literally all... did the thing that you said you were going to do. Why are you surprised? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, no, I can't believe it. And you're like, y you did it. My good bitch, you were the one who yeah. threw the rock at the head. Um, And then there's these two kids that have been sort of showing up throughout the film. and Benedito and Zeca. Yeah. And they've been wanting to, to play the guitar. And um, I think it's... Benedito, maybe? Mm -hmm. Who... No, no, no. Zeca is the... Zeca is the... Because Benedito has been, like, following oh, yeah. Orpheus around and sort of observing Benedito. <clears throat> I kept trying to think of, like, this is another, like, mythological figure because, like, um, it just Benedito feels like a, you know, um, would, would translate, I guess, to, like, benediction. Feels like a, you know, mythologically significant name. 
Um, and it feels like uh, uh, he's supposed to be a mythological figure because he's just sort of following Orpheus, observing Orpheus, um, but not ever really like interceding in a big way. Yeah. You know, he um, sees a lot of things that happen, but he doesn't like participate. And so then Zeka picks up Orpheus's old guitar. And like a thing that they're asking him to do at the beginning was to play the guitar to make the sunrise. And he played it during the sunrise. Mm-hmm. And then this happens again in the sunrises while he's playing. And, 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 a, and a young girl, these, these kids are all like somewhere between 10 and 13, I would say. Yeah. Um, the, a, a young girl hears him playing the guitar and she starts dancing and they're clearly into each other and the myth is going to happen again, you know. It is yeah. the it is the eternal return, you know. Yep. Um This movie's incredible. Yeah. This movie's fucking incredible. <laughs> um one of the things I was particularly struck by is this is a musical. Yes. And it is a musical that uses Carnival mm-hmm. as a thing to both ground the music in a sense of realism. Yeah, it, it is a it is a musical that operates on diegetic music. You know? Yes. Um, and where stuff still will happen in the way that it will in a musical, where music will happen at some sort of outpouring of emotion. But then it is like making more sense... Uh, diegetically than it sometimes does within uh-huh. musicals. But then also because it is using this like heightened festival, it is also at the same time that it is grounding in the sense of realism, also able to push it more into like dream and myth and like uh, surreal- uh, surreality mm. in a way where there is a way where I could extremely groan and roll my eyes at all. The the myth repeating itself and all the little nods to it, and I did laugh a little bit at the guard dog when they were going into the the guard place dog being, being named Cerberus is like that was just like a, that was the one thing that was a touch too much. It it felt like a little bit winking at the camera. It worked for me, but I absolutely yeah, it, that was the one thing that was like right on the line. But so much of this stuff is things that could have felt wrong. Uh-huh. Or just like to, ah, oh, yeah, I get it. You're doing the myth. Mm-hmm. But just like the way that it was operating in this weird space that was at once grounding it in a sense of realism, but then also using it as this realism of like an actual kind of uh, heightened event that just happens mm-hmm. culturally um, allowed it to like push it into this like weird mythic and surreal space at the same time. Um that like it could ground the the heightened emotions, but then also push the heightened emotions even further. Something that um, around the long fire has given me a certain appreciation for as a person, I've not read a ton of like mythology. There's a lot of like mythology stuff that I'm like aware of. Like I know the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, but I can't think of like actually. I took a I took a class on drama where we specifically read two like one ancient Greek play about Orpheus and Eurydice and one like modern thing. So this is a bad example, but like I can't I can't think of other than the Disney movie a like Hercules story I know. But I'm I'm aware of Hercules, right? Yeah. Something that Around the Long Fire has given me an appreciation for is that like these were just the popular stories of the day. You know? Like like the reason that uh, 
the Burning Neal saga has has survived is because it was just a very popular story of its day. You yeah. know? Um, and why are things popular? It's not like like people when when was this book like when did Neal like first pop up? Um let me double check this stuff. Cause a lot of the actual um and th- this is a we actually in the one that we're gonna record um on Wednesday though will be out mm. like Wednesday night, Thursday. Um for that one we are going to uh have the first thing that's like clear evidence that at least part of the part of this book was like specifically written. So there's a line that says like as written before instead of as said before or told before, which is mm. like what would most often happen in these sagas where they're recording some sort of oral tradition. The all saga is like very clearly was written as a work yeah. from existing sources, but like put together. So um, Niala so is a 13th century saga that describes uh, events between 960 and 1020. Yeah, so it was written in the 13th century. The thing, the thing is that people in the 13th century are not that different from people now. There is a there. There are a lot of a, a thing. A thing that you learn as you start to understand more about human history is that like. You know, people who were alive around the time that Jesus was alive, not that different from people now. Yeah, there's like significantly different um, socio-political and like economic frameworks that like delimit the way that those people can think and exist. Uh But it's still fundamentally the same people. They're just having to interact with a different system. Yeah, like they those people are like capable of perceiving and having cognition the same way that we are and on some level like you know stories about cool dudes swinging swords around have always been popular because it's cool when dudes swing swords around it just is it's cool when dudes get lit on fire and it's the thing that that black orpheus does so well to bring it back is that it recognizes the like like, why Why does the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, like, why does it persist? Why does, why does that thing that was put down hundreds and hundreds of years ago, like, why is that still a story that we remember, that we tell, that shows up in a video game from 2019 that I played, you know? Why does that show up? Because it is sad when a love affair is doomed. It is sad when, like, like... I did the thing that fucked up like my relationship with that person, you know? Um, And there's a million different ways you can tell it. Like the way in which Black Orpheus does it is different from those two plays I read is different from the way that Hades approaches this myth. But like the, the fundamental thing at the core of it is like this tragedy of, oh man, I really fucked up something special, you know? Yeah. And this movie like understands that and, puts it into the framework of popular cinema of 1959. And that's really important, (laughs) you know, is let's take that thing, that, that thread that survives across centuries of, you know, this tragedy and, and just put it into, well, you know, like what would be a cool way to do that? It would be to put it in carnival. Why? Because carnival is like cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like, why would we put it in Brazil? Because Brazil is like a, you know, cool, like an interesting location that, you know, you might not expect for this movie. 
Um, and there's a lot of, you know, um, for, for, there's a lot of ways in which I think you could say, um, this movie is exoticizing, um, Brazil and Rio and Carnival and, and sort of like, you know, all the, all the things that accompany that. Um, I guess my, my thought about that as an extremely white person who's never been there is that like part of the power of Soleo for me was, you know, the camera is just observing things. The camera is just like taking in what you put in front of it. And similarly, like, you know, um, like, like Marcel Camus did not like make up Carnival and did not like make up all these actors. Like all these actors are like non-professional actors behaving in ways that are authentic to them and their lives. Yeah. You know, and it, I feel that coming through in the movie in a big way, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, because one, this is all set during Carnival, and that's like foregrounded mm-hmm. as like, this is like a going to be a particularly wild time. She's coming in and being like, you know, oh, you're going to go or whatever. There's even the thing of like, here's on this street, we're just like, uh, people are getting ready and it's just like hectic and wild. And then you just like go over one street and it's just like, yeah, regular kind of empty city streets. Yeah. That's another thing. Just real quick. I was reading letterbox reviews that are like this, this portrays like everybody in, in Brazil is dancing all the time. And it's like, no, people were dancing all the time at a rehearsal for a carnival performance and then dancing all the time at a carnival performance. Yeah, and they were members of a samba school. Yeah. (laughs) They go a block over. Also, it's a musical. Yeah, also it's a musical. And yeah, there's like bits of this movie where they go a block over and no one's dancing because Carnival is over there. Yeah. (laughs) The thing about everybody being over there for the party is that over here, nothing's happening. Yeah. (laughs) Because... (laughs) Uh, But so the other thing watching this is like, you were watching a little bit of the the interview. Uh, um, I wish I could have watched more. I wish yeah. I wish I would love to know more about the production of this movie, partially because of the sort of like it was interesting to to see that Camus just like lived in Brazil for seven months before shooting ever got up, you know, got off the ground. That makes me feel better about certain ways in which this is portraying a like, reality of living in Brazil. That's just my judgment. Once again, extremely white person. I would have loved to learn more about Criterion had a interview with the actress who played Eurydice. I would have loved to hear what she thought about this. I did not make time to watch the rest of um, the the material that Criterion had available. So, yeah. Um, But like from that, it seemed like Camus like. Kind of a racist white French dude. Yeah. Also, he seemed he seemed a little dumb. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but also, like films, as much as we will sometimes talk about things from this sort of auteur perspective, mm-hmm. I also try to push back against that some. And like uh, the film is not just made solely by this man. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a a large amount of involvement from like you know Brazilian actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that some other people on set wasn't just like fully a French crew. Yeah, yeah, that would be absurd. Like, I, like no one would make the movie that way. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, like the the score is obviously mm. Brazilian. Um, I could believe that, like you know, maybe the like cinematography here that seems like a French dude. Yeah, editing edited and, by a French dude. Yeah, but also I'm sure that like general people on music, set music holding the by... mics and things. Yeah, music by uh, Brazilian artists because yeah, and yeah. like the mo- the the movie is the music in the movie, and the movie is like Eurydice and Orpheus giving just stunningly good performances. Yeah. You know, and very like true. It's remarkable how they're operating in this mythic heightened space, and those two actors are able to keep it down to earth, and that's all them. You know, yeah. that is all just those two being on top of their shit because they're playing off of like Mira who is totally in heightened cartoon land. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but, and so the result is, I think like a, a lot of films are going to be in this like weird mixed space. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking a little bit cause we have just doing a whole bunch of David Lynch. Mm. Um, David Lynch loves to employ people with disabilities uh-huh. in his films. And I I always have this like weird m- mix thing of sometimes it does lean into like weird ableist tropes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he actually is doing interesting roles. Mm-hmm. Also, he is just in- employing a lot of these people who aren't going to get work. Yeah. Like if you are a disabled actor, there are only a certain number of roles you can get. And David Lynch seems to want to provide lots of roles. Yes. For for people who are not going to like fit into a certain like clear Hollywood mold. Like and there's a certain amount of that that is like weird and paternalistic. There's also a certain amount of that where it is like this is still giving opportunity to people. This is still and I there I don't think there's a clean solution to any of this. Yeah. And it's like this movie coming out in 59, they're not being a film industry in um, Brazil at the time. And it's important to remember that films are, you know, cinema is a medium that exists as a product of the in- industrial era. You know, yeah. like cinema, like if we had figured out the, the, the technology for like moving pictures centuries prior like cinema would be a very different art form. The way in which cinema is made is... And also, like, the distribution re- relies on mass production of things mm-hmm. to just... Even to have reels to send around to theaters, you still need a certain amount of, like, mass production. This is this is why art in the age of mechanical reproduction is taught in film courses. Yes. You know? Um, uh, and um, <clears throat> so, like... It's important to remember that because, like, in the in the discuss in the conversation with um, Camus, I saw he he talked about um, I, I forget his name, but I know it's um, Clouseau who directed The Wages of Fear had tried to do a movie in Brazil and was just like so frustrated by the lack by by Brazil not having a film industry by having to like kind of set everything up himself that Clouseau just gave up on the project and said, "Oh, no one could ever make a movie in Brazil." And this is a very, like, you know, French attitude of just, like, I tried to colonize it and it was too hard, so I gave up. (laughs) And, you know, on some level, Camus just being like, well, I will set up a film industry. That is a, like, colonial logic that gets you there. Um, But also the outcome of the colonial logic is, like, you know, all these Brazilian people who are immortalized in one of the most important films that's ever been made. You know? And... 
one of the best films that's ever been made. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think it, I, I don't want to be simple about, I don't want to, I don't want to boil this down to, well, it is a colonial project and therefore it is bad. There, there are good things that fall out of this, you know, fundamentally yeah. colonial project. Uh, also don't want to boil it down to, oh, you know, I helped create a film industry in Brazil and that was just a like uncomplicated, great thing. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. You know, Werner Herzog helped create a uh, many film industries across the world by leaving cameras everywhere and just fucking off. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean one of the one of the like deep things that you just have to confront when you uh, care about movies a lot and have a movie podcast and uh-huh. stuff um, is that like. Movies are just inherently deeply entwined with, like, capital and colonialism mm-hmm. and, uh, like, ideas of, like, first world. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that stuff is just, like, uh, inextricable from what cinema uh, is, has been. Yeah. Um, there's, like, futures where it can be something else, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think there is... Uh, a a desire, a tendency maybe to see like to see movies as fully formed products and and say, well, the the end result of Black Orpheus is exoticizing and therefore bad. And I th- I, I just want to do our best to see like Black Orpheus, the movie is the result of a process and lots of like different things are the result of that process, you know? Yeah. One of the things that results of that process is this movie's fucking incredible. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. The costuming is beautiful. The lighting is beautiful. The, 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 the locations, the, like the, the fucking so much of the movie for the first half is like in this location of this small neighborhood in the, like, hills mountains outside of rio part of rio but sort of like on the edges and you will see these incredible shots of like here is this like sort of poor neighborhood um and then you put the camera on the top of this cliff face and then you turn it and there are these like expensive high rises yeah and, and you know huge industrial buildings and i you know I don't know what the movie's aware of, but I myself am aware of the like discrepancy and like, you know, um, like access to, to, you know, certain things. Um, and, and just like, Oh, the, those beachfront properties are, people have been pouring money into those. Um, and, and not so much into the stuff in the Hills. Um, I just, and it looks fucking incredible, you know? Yeah. And there is a wistfulness to those shots. And there is like, there is so much that I can project into those shots that maybe is different from what, you know, other people project into those shots. But they're, they're incredible. Yeah. Um, and also, just one of the things you have to contend with, with things with the size and scale of movies, just in terms of like production, the mm-hmm. process of making them, is very rarely, I think there's like a, is there like a, a clean, simple, mm-hmm. like, cause there's just so much involved with it. Mm-hmm. 
You you can't just like, you know, we will I will deride MCU movies every day. There's still mm. so much like work that goes into that shit. Yeah. Um and like from artists and things who like deserve pay and mm-hmm. part of why I hate like the MCU as a uh model for filmmaking and as like a, a current force is the fact that it is like intentionally relying on pushing for creating more and more of the film with like non-unionized mm. uh artists who I think are sometimes are making art that's like deeply directed by mm-hmm. you know specific just like market whims of, of producers. Yeah. And have to like completely redo work because oh we decided that this movie is going to be more mar- marketable if we have like a rolling green landscape behind the shot. So can you get one of those to put in? Right. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. Um, and all of that stuff is like stuff that weakens the art that I think like uh, overuses and abuses the work staff. Mm. Again, like visual effects artists. If if any of you are listening. I hope you know by now to try and unionize, but like (laughs) that's an important thing to do. Um, And there's just, there's truly something to like, you know, cinema is a, is a medium about just observing things and just like the, the locales, the like places, the, the people and places that this movie is like putting a camera on and to, to bring it back to Soleil, Soleil, like, like these are just not people and places that people were putting cameras on in 1959 you know yeah um this is now a like document of of that time and place um that just will live for hopefully forever hopefully you know and it's good to like provide context around the ways that that uh that the limited images that exist can then create like a more Mm -hmm. intense exotic image of of a culture Mm -hmm. but um there's also a certain amount of like, if the solution is we just need more movies, then like, yeah, we yeah. agree. And if the solution is, so they just shouldn't have made the movie, then I'm like, I think you're going the wrong direction. Yeah. I think we just need more. Yeah. And then this can have more that it's in conversation with yeah. and not, yeah. and not have to sort of stand in like isolation to some extent. Yeah. And, and luckily there is now a like Brazilian film industry where, you know, we do not watch a ton of things that come out of Brazil, but like, you know. Yeah. Um, it exists, you know, um, and you don't have to have like white, white dudes like coming in and being like, I will, I will, you know, show all these people how to make a film. Yeah. (laughs) Although, uh, from what little I know, there's still a lot of, uh, race and class involved in who gets to make a movie in Brazil, even uh, like of Brazilian directors. Mm -hmm. Um, because unfortunately the world is fucked. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and the, one of the things about loving movies is like, yeah, I would love to watch lots and lots of movies on this podcast from like South America and Africa, Mm. um, just by volume, like France, Japan, and the U S is probably going to beat them. (laughs) It's unfortunate, but it's true. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, I really fucking like this movie, dude. Yeah. I really fucking like this movie. <laughs> um, Orpheus is so hot. Can we ta- can we talk about how the the fucking the part where he he puts on the like uh, outfit that's the 
the like the Orpheus outfit, I would uh-huh. call it, where it's like this like very Greco Roman kind of yeah, like if, large if, mesh shirt. If you haven't seen the film, go just go Wikipedia. the The poster is a painting of him in this outfit. Yeah, I think I think how he actually looks in the film is way hotter than the poster, but you at least will know what the outfit is. Also, I think if you just Google like Black Orpheus, you'll get stills of him in this because it's obviously uh-huh. his iconic look. Um, but yeah, he's also got it in the poster, but like, yeah, like the second image here, you don't get the full thing, but you get like, you know, waist up. Mm, he's so hot. Yeah. Oh my God. He is gorgeous. Um, one thing I didn't have as much thoughts on this, but it did come up cause it's also strolling in my head because see destiny is so intensely about this. Uh, but there is a certain amount to which like. Eurydice is like wearing all white and is like very, uh, you know, has this like very chaste aura around her. And Mira just like constantly has her tits popping out. It's funny because there's, there's like a certain energy happening there about there's like a certain sexuality being yeah bad. I agree. But then her and Orpheus fuck, and that's not like the movie does not cast judgment on on them for fucking. Yeah, you know. Or, or... also, there's the cute little like. Uh, it is just a sex scene, but it is like not showing sex, and then I think it culminates in sex uh-huh. with uh, Seraphine and her uh-huh. like boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, that's a really good scene. Yeah, it's really good. When Very, she like, cute of all the like all the like weird ways that and like her like feeding him watermelon and like stepping on his feet while when they walk she around and stuff. Fucking smashes the watermelon into his face. I lost my shit. It's so good. It's so fucking good. I think I, I think I was like watching it at the time, and I was like, when that happened, I was like, "Oh, this is a five star movie." Yeah. Before it was like maybe four and a half, and then that happened, and then all the like them pushing it into like the the mythic heights mm. happened, and I was like, "Yeah, this is a five star movie." But yeah, that's another thing that we haven't talked about enough is that the movie starts very grounded, um, and then like. It's like basically one the moment that Orpheus and Eurydice fuck, um, you know the sun goes down, sun comes up, and then from that moment on, it starts just getting more and more and more and more heightened, you know. But it starts very grounded, you know, yeah. of just like oh she's moving into the town and he he uh works a job as a trolley operator, you know, um just like normal shit, yeah, um, and and it pulls off the the gradual introduction of the heightened elements um, really well. Um, it's like gradual until you get to that staircase and then it becomes very intensified. Yeah. God, these stairs are so good. You just Googled Black Orpheus stairs. Yeah. Here, let me do the... Can I just get like a good one here so I don't even have to find a screenshot? I just knew this would be one where people would, uh, you know... Have done photos of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I feel like we're wrapping up here. Yeah. Have we picked a movie for next time? Uh, no. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess it is my birthday. It's your birthday. Yeah. You can pick whatever you want. Um, we will probably be watching this on your birthday. We're, this probably won't matter to listeners at all, but I... I would really like to to change things up so that we're watching the movie earlier in the week and then recording on Fridays rather than watching on Fridays and then recording um, 
Which yeah. probably means that, unless you have some objection, we'll probably watch this on your birthday. Yeah. Um, I mean, at some point soon, I want to watch Gundam F91, but I don't know if that one, I want that to be... Your birthday movie? Yeah. Any any old standbys, any classics that you've been just wanting me to see? Anything that you really love that I, I haven't seen and you'd love to rewatch? Mm. Like, I gotta think on this, but also... I mean, you can think on it, and we can just announce it on Twitter later. Um... Let me just, like, quick pull up Letterbox. Do you want to start doing plugs? You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal. You can go to exportodd.io to take you to the Patreon page where we have links to all the free feeds. For $1 a month, you get this podcast and many others a week early. And for $5 a month, you get bonus things like Pop Town Funk um, and extra episodes of coffee and comic books we've got two recent uh coffee and comic books that are in that paid f- tier um and obviously the bracket episode of this podcast came out for five dollar patrons this week so uh yeah Is it my what turn? if we did police story two we could i mean that... I, d- I don't know that it's good enough to warrant that but... lots of fun explosions it'd be a fun one mm-hmm. that's that's part of the uh benefit there um trying to think if, if there's anything else that's like super jumpy. The one thing is I we could do the Mad Fox. Let's do the Mad Fox. That. Mad Fox. Mad Fox. We'll Mad do the Fox. Mad Fox. I've been wanting to get around to that. We can do that. That'll be fun. Yeah, the Mad Fox. Um, I have a, 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 a vague feeling in the back of my mind that we might have told Joe, oh, we'll do that next. That sounds good. Or, or at the bare minimum, oh, we'll put that on the list. Uh, I have forgotten what it was in this moment. And so, um, it's the like, Oh, Oh pie. Oh yes. Joao was telling us about a movie that's like more recent and very deliberately in conversation with this. Yeah. I mean, um, I did, I did not think we said that we would do it right away. I was going to try and do it soon, but yeah. Um, yeah, we'll definitely get that in pretty. Yeah. Oh, pie. I think is the, okay. the name. I could be totally yeah. mispronouncing, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that'll that'll end up on the list as well. We should like go through at some point, but not right now because you have to work. Um, and we will sort this. Yeah, we will like make some more yeah. broader plans for yeah. the podcast. I would like to plan like the next three episodes out just so that we have it. Yeah. Um. We should maybe put like the Lost Highway on that list, or the Straight Story, or whatever's next. Just really try and marathon some. Twin... Well, maybe... I guess what's next is Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Yeah. Okay. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um. Where can people find you online? You can find me at Fox Omnia on Twitter and co-host. If you go there and look at my twin, my pinned tweet or pinned post, you'll find links to all of my podcasts. Um, I, I'll do the like quick spiel. Um, Pondering Pluton is just a, uh, increasingly bizarre, uh, hangout comedy podcast thing that Connor and I do. Um, I know that Connor doesn't listen to this, at least with any, uh, urgency. So I'm going to spoil something for next like recording. Uh, can you, can you tell me what's right there? You have a package from Connor here, unopened. To me, unopened. 
I'm assuming this is a birthday present of some sort, uh-huh. and I'm going to open it on the Puton recorder. I assumed I assumed that's why this was sitting here when yeah. I came in. Um, the next night, I will be recording Around the Long Fire, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, is a podcast that... That's also just a weird hangout podcast. Yeah. You we... just do weird hangout podcasts. Yeah. Uh, I would say it has similar energy to the non-homophobia zone, um, except there's the part where we also do just talk about the saga. But um, We are about to finish up Nyal Saga. Um, I don't know how M feels about these chapters, but I thought these final chapters are good. We get like... Some of the stuff that I like from sagas, which is just like the weird uh, stories at the like margins, because it's just like wrapping up and now stuff is coming in where you get like uh, strange. Oh, here's when it was like raining blood on the ship and then the swords were fighting each other and stuff. And you're like, where was this energy anyway? Because <laughs> um, it's just great stuff. Uh, there's some like real gory stuff that happens and it's pretty cool. It's It's great. So I'm looking forward to wrapping it up. Um, and uh, then on Saturday, I will be recording the uh, beginning of like Iron-Blooded Orphan Season 2 discussion episode. But we've been doing that at Ghost Divers. Um, if people like Gundam, they can go listen to that. There's all my spiels. I'm going to let you <clears throat> go. I'm assuming I'm editing this tonight while you're like heading home and... Uh, Nora's telling you about a YouTube video. If you want to, if, if, if that's too much, we can just put this up like one day late. Like I could do this tomorrow evening and we could put it up on Wednesday. It's it's 11. I think I could. Okay. Up to you. It's not going to be too challenging when edit. I I think I can do one of these. Tomorrow evening. I could edit it tomorrow evening. Yeah. Yeah. I can probably pull one of these. We uh, haven't, we haven't said anything that needs to be cut. So you could just like shoop. Yeah. Like, put the non-homophobia zone at the end, put in some music, be done. Yep. Um, let's get out of here. Nanahachi is real. Nanahachi is real.
goose is dead The bats have left the bell tower The victims have been bled and velvet lines The black box Bella Lugosi is dead Bella Lugosi is dead
let's just do it. Let's just do it this way. We'll do non-homophobia zone. We'll catch up about um, TV and. Bro, uh, oh, is that gonna go in here in the non-homophobia zone? Where we are? Yeah, yeah. We'll okay. just do. We'll do a non-homophobia zone where we catch up on all the non-movie stuff, and then we'll do segment one where we talk about the other movies, and then we'll do. Um, you know, Black Orpheus. I think Black Orpheus will... I think probably this will be the longest segment of the podcast, but I think Black Orpheus will be a much longer segment than the five other movies because one of those movies is good. Yeah. One of those movies on that list is good. <laughs> um, okay. And also you've podcasted about yes. most of them. Well, I've podcasted about three of them. Um, okay. Anyway... So yeah, you finished Poker Face. Yeah. I mean, I guess I might say at the beginning of the episode, but I'll just like fully say it out here. Uh-huh. That this week, uh, my toddler's been home a fair amount. Um, uh-huh. At first, there was sort of like mystery illness that I think was whatever illness was before that I probably have talked about on this podcast, turning into like a sort of sinusy whatever thingy mm-hmm. that manifested in the end uh, as an ear infection. Mm-hmm. So the ear infection is found on Thursday. Because mm-hmm. um, I was here Friday. Yeah. Um, but so there's multiple days where uh, my toddler is home. Um, I think only went to back to daycare like one or two days this week. Because mm-hmm. um, at first it was just like fever and we didn't know what it was. Uh-huh. It was a, I guess that was over the weekend. So uh, they were home Monday back Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday, they were home again because they had the fever again and were complaining about, like, ear pain and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thursday, I took some time off of work, which I had kind of a... I had a weird week where there was a certain amount of busyness because I had a big meeting on Friday that I had to prep for. But also, there wasn't nearly as much prep for that as there sometimes has been. Mm-hmm. And there's some work that I can do, but it's like... The, the thing I just have is so much easier than the last thing I did. Yeah. So um, it wasn't like that difficult, but I took two two hours off uh, to take my kid to the pediatrician and get some um, antibiotics, get it checked out, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just You don't want to mess around with your infections because it can affect hearing if you want, yeah, if totally. it goes too bad. Totally. Um, so anyway... Um, and they just like to look at it and then sort of give you, eh, if this stuff happens, call us if this, you know, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, while they were, were home, I tried to get them to watch a couple movies. Um, they have this book that's like the Nutcracker and you like push little, there's like a little thing on the page, like a circle and you push it and then you're actually pushing like a button underneath mm-hmm. and it will play like a little bit of the song. And we've gotten multiple from the library for like... It's all just, like, different, um, you know, like, big orchestra pieces where there's sort of a little bit of a narrative to it and stuff, and it explains the narrative. You hear little snippets of the music. Um, and they enjoy those books a lot, and one of them that they, they really liked was the Nutcracker one. There was some Nutcracker movie. We tried to get them to watch it, and it was, like, the the toy maker uh, uncle or whatever, or godfather or whatever, hadn't even fucking shown up yet, and... Our, our kid was like Smash Brothers. Uh, There's so much Smash Brothers when they were home. There's so much um, Smash Brothers. My kid loves Smash it was, Brothers. It was such a huge victory on Friday. Cause, okay, so Friday, y- you and uh, Emily were working from home 
uh, toddler was uh, uh, here, and so... Yeah, and I had, like, my big meeting in the, the morning, and then in the afternoon I had, like, a huge department-wide meeting for, like, changes to how we're doing... That aren't really that much of a change for me because I've been piloting this, but mm-hmm. I still have to sit there through the whole meeting where they explain yeah. what we're doing now. There's a couple changes from what I was doing, but it's, like, this makes sense yeah. based off of what I've been piloting, so... Um, and so, like... <clears throat> honestly, honestly, if you hadn't told me you had meetings, I probably would have been like, suffer. But you told me you had those two big meetings. I was like, well, if I had meetings, I wouldn't want to, to <laughs> uh, you know, deal with toddler. So I, I came over and helped out with just like playing with them all day. Yeah. Um, And it was such a massive, huge victory that we only played one hour of Smash Bros. I was <laughs> delighted yeah. that it took them all afternoon before they were like, I want to play Smash Bros. Because... Because the thing was that, like, so you had your meetings, and I was like, okay, during the meetings, I got to do everything in my power to make sure we don't look at Smash Bros., don't think about Smash Bros., don't anything. After the meetings, I would like to keep doing other stuff, but if we have to play Smash Bros., we have to play Smash Bros. I'm not going to fight this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, And, yeah, just a huge victory that we got to do anything else for like five hours <laughs> yeah we've been also trying to i mean it, it's the thing is when they're home sick yeah it's like hard not to yeah because no matter what if like unless somebody like like if you come over or somebody takes time off or whatever yeah it's just like we can't do other stimulating things and most other things you kind of need like an adult interacting where yeah. it's just like TV and video games. Yeah. You can kind of veg in front of the TV. There is a, there um, is, there's part of me that's like, I would so much rather than be watching TV than playing Smash Bros, which I think is, I think is mostly just, uh, the moral panic that my mom, uh, raised me in of video games that will destroy your brain. I probably yeah. don't think that's true. I probably think the kids learning motor skills and shit, and I don't actually care that much. But um, yeah, <laughs> I I am sometimes like, it's fine to play video games, but like mix it up. Yeah, like, one play some different games, so it's not just all Smash Brothers. Yes, like do some other ones that are gonna like get you thinking different ways or doing different skills within games. Mm-hmm. But then also like watch some PBS or something that's gonna be vaguely educational. Yeah. Yeah. And in like other ways. I was really enjoying when the three of us were all playing Baba as you together. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I think that I think the toddler enjoyed that too, but um toddler not really on the wavelength of being able to understand or like solve puzzles in Baba as you, but very much enjoyed the like was the sometimes collab- was sometimes useful. Yeah. In terms of cuz we would just be saying like, well, here's the different things, and then they would just be like well, what if Baba is Melt? And we're like, well, we still need something to be you, but is there a way? Yeah. Is this giving us an idea yeah. or not? And sometimes yeah. it'll just be like, that wouldn't make sense, but sometimes but, it does. But it was fun to have them collaborate in the like, puzzle yeah. solving process, you know, yeah. even if like, no, that was a stupid idea, child, but... <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't say it that way, but... Yeah, you know. no. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so that, I mean, that was a big thing is that I was just like doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's why I just didn't do like also when my kid's home, I don't watch as much on my computer because one, 
I'm not going to do one of my favorite things to put on when I'm at work and I don't want to like have a really intensive movie to watch, mm. which is just go into the, the back room at yeah. the family video. You don't, you don't want like random tits like on your yeah. screen when the kid's there. Um, and there's just like, in general, if I have something on my screen that might like get the kid to come over and then like want to see what's going on and stuff. And it's like, this yeah. is just kind of noise that I have when I'm working. Yeah. Um, so I mostly listen to podcasts, but I also am extremely behind on podcasts still. Mm-hmm. Some of that is that you like released like five hours of podcasts meow, meow. in two days. Meow, 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 but... meow, 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 meow. <laughs> so I have all those. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got, I've got catching up to do on my podcasts, but um, I mean, that was also like meetings and stuff. Yeah. I had those two big meetings, but there are also some like planning-ish meetings mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, your pre-meeting meeting. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so I didn't do that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the the evenings, I just record so many podcasts now that uh, I increasingly am watching less movies in the evening because I just want to do something with Emily, and Emily doesn't often doesn't want to watch a movie. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things we we were doing was watching Poker Face. So that was like the big thing other than the other thing is I, I did get my kid to watch a little bit of Sonic, but I'll talk about that in the main yeah, episode. Yeah. But um, yeah, we finished Poker Face. Um, a few of the, the end episodes were pretty strong. Um, I think my my favorite episode overall is like the second to last episode. Um, and I don't want to give away. There's like lots of in general, I think sometimes the the like little surprise gets a little too. Kitschy uh-huh. or something. Mm-hmm. It's a little too like wink, wink, nod, nod. Oh, here's where Charlie was the whole time. Here's, you know, that's Natasha Leon's character. Um, you know, oh, here's the person who got killed or whatever. You know, sometimes they do a little fake out there. Um, that like episode nine, I think it was the, the one before the finale, uh, was really good with like the little fake outs and the twists. Mm-hmm. So, that stuff worked there in a way that it often doesn't. Um, and then so much of it just became like interesting, tense content rather than this kind of, I just want to do Columbo, but not Columbo. Can I, can I do a like half formed complaint rant thing real quick? Sure. I just have this, I had this thought, I was watching a YouTube video and this, uh, and, uh this YouTuber, uh, I think put it a little better, um, probably, but, um, I was like falling asleep while watching this video. Uh, but he made a good point and it was like, it's weird and, and sucky kind of how like TNG 22 episodes in a season, 26 episodes. I don't remember. Um, DS nine, you know, 20 episode plus seasons. Um, cause you have like five sets You've got like six regular actors plus like some guest stars who you can rely on for like five episodes a season, etc. The streaming era. <clears throat> oh, I remember this YouTube video I was watching was just breaking down like, okay, here's the money that cable TV brought in for these companies that do this versus. Somehow, even Disney Plus is operating at a loss. You know, Netflix operating at a loss. Disney Plus operating at a loss. Hulu, oh, loss. Um, yeah. Like, Peacock definitely operating at a loss. Um, 
and that like all these companies are losing money because streaming actually is a terrible business. It turns out that Netflix hitting on this one fad and then every entertainment company in the world spending 10 years reshaping all of media consumption around that one fad uh, was a bad investment. It turns out that we're everyone's losing money doing this. But at the same time, budgets for the shows on the streaming services are ballooning. Yeah. And so, because towards this like, you know, golden age of television where I think there was a certain amount of cable yes. seeing streaming happening and having to compete. Yes. And budgets like go up for yes. a lot of these prestige TV shows. But but, but like, now the streaming services want to give you the prestige TV experience. Yes, yes. But like it it's that Streaming wants to give you the prestige TV experience, but fundamentally, AMC had more money to spend on Breaking Bad than Disney has to spend on The Mandalorian. You know, like HBO had more money to spend on The Wire and um, uh, The Sopranos. There just was more money kicking around, you know? Yeah. Um, and anyway, all, all this to say, it's such a weird bummer that like... You know, obviously, Poker Face's direct analog is Columbo, which was doing, like, 10 to 15 episodes a season that are 90 minutes, and now Poker Face does 10 episodes a season that are half that length, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, you take Mandalorian, you, you take uh, Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and those are, like, 10 episode seasons, whereas if this was the 90s, there's no reason Strange New Worlds would not have gotten 20 yeah. episode seasons. There's no reason, except for that it has to look visually just like the movies do, and so we can only afford to make 10 of these at a time. Yeah. You know? It's and crazy. also there was just like the way that like blocks worked where like most of the, the year a show would run... And then you'd have this like period mm -hmm. where it would be off and then something else would like go in that slot. Maybe it would be reruns. Maybe it would be like a shorter series or something. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think various networks handled this slightly differently, but like American production in particular had fairly big ones. Mm -hmm. Whereas and like if you look at like the the average anime it's like 2550 yeah. or like 2652 yeah and that's like very specifically based around like half the half year. a year the full year yeah you get the ones that are 13 cuz that's a quarter of the year dragon dragon ball z ran every fucking week like yeah. it was like it was fucking saturday night live there were not breaks <laughs> yeah but now now i feel like i guess saturday even night like live actually has breaks anime anyway. production has changed where yeah um, there's so many like 13 episode seasons. The, the place that anime production is at, me not keeping up with a ton of anime, like new seasonal anime, seems like the streaming ecosystem has led to everything being sort of a halfway point between like 26 episode Evangelion or six episode War in the Pocket. Like everything is in this weird middle ground between regular ass show and specialized OVA niche thing. And like everything is at like that 13 episode. And there are, there are a lot of like great 13 episode shows from throughout history, you know, Lane and whatnot. But it's just like, um, it, it is such a weird middle ground that a lot of anime sits in. It feels like, yeah. Um, I don't I, know. It just feels it. The, the thing I guess that's like most frustrating to me is that, 
um, there was like this weird balance where I think it was, but also I was part of it where I was just like, cable doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah. Because the whole streaming model was you have this backlog of content mm-hmm. and people want to watch that content. Yeah. It's basically like it started with streaming eats into reruns. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to have fucking friends and Seinfeld on or Seinfeld, 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 <laughs> friends and Seinfeld. Uh, there's just a lot of specific sound happening there. It's fine. Nora mm-hmm. was roasting me earlier this week because she's like, you know, you always say sign in manga. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she's like, you always say it's sign in. And I was like, like is the German word? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, you know, you don't need to have those reruns going constantly. Because mm. then streaming, people can just watch it anytime. You know what's interesting, though, is that you know what's getting more popular? Like, something I was literally watching this week is your your Plutos and your Tubies of the world. One, they offer, here's Columbo for free with ads. Here's the Prisoner for free with ads. Which is basically, we've just invented on-demand cable. And it seems like Tubi and a couple of those other ones, it seems like they're kind of taking off. I don't know. Um, But the thing I was watching on there this week uh, is one of those apps, I think, I think it was Tubi. I think it was Tubi has, here's a channel that plays uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 24-7. You can just put this on, and now Mystery Science Theater is happening in your general vicinity. And I was like, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I would like to smoke a joint and watch just a melange of Mystery Science Theater. The other thing I did uh-huh. um, that was part of my time this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One, I finished The Prisoner. Yes. Um, I, I forgot about that because I talked about it on Around the Long Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finished The Prisoner, which I've, you haven't finished. I have not finished. I'm three episodes in. Um, I'm I'm a little erratic in my media consumption. We can finish all the stuff you've been doing this week, and then we can get into just yeah. my weird, like, bouncing around between things. Um, the second... I mean, it's like par- it's like the first part of the two-part finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, episode 16, mm-hmm. basically... Which it is like people have those two just being this is the end of the, the series constantly. Um, most watch orders do that. I don't know if there's any that deviate. But so episode sixteen, fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seventeen was okay. I mean, I I enjoyed it. There's some interesting stuff in it. Um, it was weird in some fun ways, but also like it was it it wasn't like sixteen's just like God. That's that's fucking television. Uh huh. Um, mostly just three actors in a room <laughs> for an hour. Oh, I mean, for longer than an hour in the recording, but like you're just watching them in a room for an hour off, act off of each other, man, like closed room drama. That's I, the fucking shit. That's what, okay. I that's what having, TV, uh, used to give us. I was having this conversation with a coworker this week. I have an annoying cishet coworker. He said some whack shit today. I'll tell you that off mic. It's like, he said some- You gave me like the faintest. Uh, he said some foul shit that I do not need to repeat on the microphone right now. Um, but he, so this guy, I have known him for about six months now. He is on his second or third Breaking Bad rewatch <laughs> in the time I have known him. 
And he was like, oh, are you into... Because we talk some about Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. That's what we talk about generally. Because that's our interest overlap. Because he was like telling me, oh, I'm into the Bad Watch. And then I pretended that I've watched Bad Batch. The Bad Watch? The Bad Watch. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, oh, are you into the Bad Batch? And I was like, yeah, totally. I definitely watch that. I don't just like look over Nora's shoulder as she's watching it and pretend that I've watched it. That... Who would do that? Who would pretend they've seen something to keep up a conversation with a coworker? Anyway, he was telling me, oh, are you into Breaking Bad? And I was like, I watched it when it was new. Uh, I, I told him I really loved it. Uh, I, I like Breaking Bad. It's like a four-star show. You know, it's yeah. pretty good. Um, the fifth season was unnecessary. Um, I felt like it hit an ending with the fourth season, and I kind of watched the whole last season being like, why are we still doing this? Yeah. Anyway, um... And I was like, I've, I don't really rewatch it though, but I tell you what I have done is I have gone, and this is this is a fact about me, is I have gone and just watched that one episode where they're trapped in the room because there's the fly in the meth lab. Have you ever seen Breaking Bad? Um, no. Well, so so there's one episode, though. It, I think it's season three or four. Everything's like escalating, escalating, escalating. Everything's getting more and more serious. And then there's this one episode where it's just Walt and Jesse cooking meth in their meth lab and a fly gets in and they're, and and Walt is like, well, we have to lock the lab because like if this fly, you know, this fly could fuck up our whole shit basically because we have like a lab, a laboratory setting, you yeah. know, like um, and so we can't have a fly in here. And so they, they lock up the lab and they spend 45 minutes just kind of talking and like talking around all their problems in their relationship, talking or like talking around like all the things about each other that annoy each other. And I'm like, that's the best episode of the TV show. And and my coworker, like millions and millions and millions of Breaking Bad fans, is like, no, that's so bad. They don't advance the plot. They just they're just talking the whole time. Like nothing happens. And I was like, yeah, that's why it's the best episode. <laughs> Because the thing that I like is those two characters, and the thing that the show became is all the other characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I should watch the rest of The Prisoner, because I would love three men talking in a room. <laughs> one of those men not talking at all. I'm guessing that's number one. I'm gonna... Yeah, that would be you... telling. That would be telling. That would be telling. You have You have seen this person. Interesting. Interesting. Has not said anything yet. Interesting. Okay. That would be telling. I don't think it says anything at all. That would the be telling. Show. That would be telling, though. Yeah. I'm not going to say who it is. <laughs> um, in it's, fact... It's really funny. What, which of the Prisoner episodes have you... Have you? Let me just okay. let me just take a look at this. The Prisoner. <laughs> the Prisoner. Yeah, let me let me do the, the thing I pulled up all the time. Um, um, so I have gone to Tubi and I have hit... Play. play. So I have seen so Arrival. Arrival. I have seen Chimes. Chimes of Big Ben. I have seen A, B, and C. So at this point, you have seen all three people who are in that room. Okay. Can you scroll down? Um, And I have seen Free For All. Okay. I, the, the election one? I have not seen The Schizoid Man. Is that the one that Patrick McGowan's not in? No. Okay. Um, Which one's the, the one that he's not in? The one that he's not in is Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling. I might just skip it, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, you can probably skip it. I like maybe I'll watch it just so that I feel a sense of completion. But if I if I, the OCD is not I, bothering me that day, I'll just. Can I spoil a like very small thing? Yeah. There's a there's an episode that's just a western. I do know that. It's I just do know a western. That. I do know that. Because I was in I was, the in the like final final episode. A character from that is like an important character, and I don't know if they're supposed to be the same guy or if it's uh-huh. just the actor. Uh huh. But it's very funny because it's the most like this is this is pointless for the plot <laughs> episode, <laughs> and then he shows back up, and I lost my shit. What else have you been into besides uh, finishing the prisoner? By the way, uh, I also finished Turn a Fucking Gundam, but I also can't talk to you about that because yeah. you're like, I actually. Well, so you have you watched since I watched Twenty One with you? Just the one. Just I watched. Oh so, yeah, you watched Twenty Two that that night after we watched. 21. Yes. So I watched episode twenty. And I really enjoyed it. Episode 20 is the one where... Um, so the, the one about, like, how farms and... There's an old lady with a farm, and Laurent goes to her and is like, hey, there's a war going on, we need to get you off of here. And she's like, "I this is, like, this land has been in my family for generations, I won't leave. These Moonrace motherfuckers don't understand, like, land. Um, and it's a really fucking great episode. It's yeah. a really fucking great episode. I watched that two weeks ago, I want to say. And I was like, this is a great... I can tell that this is a great episode. But emotionally, because of the the break in watching it, I was not invested like that. And then we watched 21, which is the one where uh, the Gundam does the laundry. And I think just watching it together, I like got a little back into it. I watched episode 22 that night when I got home. Um, and then I've been wanting to watch... So I've been wanting to watch more. That was Friday. Um, Saturday, I was super busy. Um, or Saturday, I closed. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't want to do anything when I got home. And then Sunday, I was planning yesterday. We were going to record stairwells yesterday. Uh, plans got messed up. And so I was like, okay, well, I can use this time to like read one more volume of Nana or watch two more episodes of Turne. Just have something to chit-chat about. Um Unfortunately, I bought Civilization Six in the Steam sale, and that's where my night ended up. Is just Rip. playing Civilization Six. Rip. And I, it's funny because I was like, okay, well, the one good not thing, as good as Turn A or Nana. I was like, the one good thing <laughs> about um, not doing stairwells is I work at seven in the morning tomorrow. Uh, I'll be able to get to sleep on time. Foolish. I played Civilization Six instead of getting to sleep on time. Speaking of, we should probably hurry yeah. this up a little bit because I work at 7 a.m. again tomorrow, but I'm not too pressed about it. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah, Turning Gunnam was fucking great. Yeah. The just talking about the episode that I watched with you. Uh, using the Gundam to wash uh dirty, bloody hospital linens. So that, like, more people can be healed and recover. Mm-hmm. Genuinely the most heroic thing anybody Did, has ever fucking done with a That Gundam. episode was such peaks and valleys because, one, in episode uh, 20 with the land stuff, uh, Tomino finally introduces, I have, here, here are two clown characters. Here are two buffoons to be buffoons. And I'm like, ah! Tomino has arrived. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I really like these guys. Uh, uh, Jacob and Gallup. Bruno. Oh, okay. the Gallup is the the like land ship that they okay unearthed. 
Um, the Will game? <laughs> the Will game. You haven't seen what the Will game is yet, right? Uh, I or saw you that, see it in 22. I, I saw them unearth it. There's, okay. there's like, I can sort of see that it's a white base. It looks like a Argamon maybe, but I haven't seen enough of it to tell you definitively, oh, that's the nail Argama or whatever. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's a specific one, but it's very clearly like an Argama class ship. Yeah. Um so so um <clears throat> that was uh a, a thing and um thoughts The peaks and valleys in twenty one. Peaks and valleys in twenty one. So they're talking, and um, one of the engineers is like, well, thankfully, the Gundam has this, uh, the nano healing bots for blah, blah, blah. And I I had, to, you, you paused the show for me, and I was like, this is why I hate Tomino shows, is because if I was not paying attention right in that moment... They're just going to tell you about those healing nanobots multiple times. He's just... Okay. He... The real thing is not that Tomino has necessarily gotten better as a storyteller, but the the strength of Turne is that he's letting more people work on it. He's mm-hmm. letting more people write. He's letting more people add ideas. He is giving up more control over it, and so it is stronger. And somebody else in the room will say, hey, we got to remind people about the nano healing bots and show that the like mustache is regrowing more. Right. We can't just say that once. We can't We can't just explain the T one time, and then in the emotional climax of the movie, the T floats across the sky and saves the day. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you have... Like, I know that you said Sai Kamu in the same scene where that T first showed up, but you didn't really explain that the T was the Saikamu yeah. or that new types could interact with the Saikamu in this way. <laughs> the one thing, there's going to be some stuff late where I feel like stuff gets mentioned once or twice and doesn't really get explained, but it's because it's specifically something from Older Gundam. Uh-huh. And so they're like, you know, you mentioned the Saikamu, so I will just say Saikamu here. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the Saikamu shows up. Uh-huh. But it would be like, oh, these cockpits are equipped with Saikamu. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, whoa, if you know what they're talking about. Or if this was your first Gundam show, you'd be like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. I can't tell. Is Saikamu... Because that's what I'm saying. And I can't tell in my head. Is that short for psychocommunication or is it supposed to be like psychom and i've just like okay i i think it's probably supposed cuz i cuz i yeah. know in japanese regardless that would end with a like ooh it you probably know? yeah it probably is like but psychom but they're doing the sometimes when things get localized it'll get localized as psychom you know and yeah. so i couldn't tell if i was do if i was adding on the ooh in my head um, there are like similar ridiculous things that show up in Shimigami Tensei as well, where they just like continue to call up the thing that it's called because the abbreviations are there and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then it's just like, that's not how you do it in English. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's some stuff that comes up around the, the, oh, the, so the, the comps in general, which I feel like you would say like something else for like a small computer or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's some abbreviation. Um, but then there's the gun comp, which is called the gump. <laughs> and it's just like, you would not do this in English. You would not call it the gump. <laughs> That's not how you would like abbreviate gun com or anything, you know, <laughs> but it makes sense in Japanese that you would do it. Uh-huh. That way. Uh-huh. 
Um. Um. Anyway, so so. Okay, so I'm glad to hear that that will get explained a little more because yeah, it does feel like in Tomino shows, it's like it felt like I I hit one of those moments where I was like, oh, thank God I was paying attention because if I looked at my phone, then 30 episodes from now, the the like healing properties of the nano machines would be plot critical and I would have missed it, you know? Because if it just felt like a Tomino thing that just wouldn't come up for, you know, that he would mention here and just wouldn't come up again for a while. Um, you will know when the nano machines are plot critical. Okay. Very clearly. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, but then I don't know if there's other stuff you want to talk about. Peaks, peaks was uh, the scene of um like the operating room and um Keyhill parentheses actually Deanna parentheses actually Keyhill. <laughs> these these two women have traded places. They're not going back. You don't you won't tell me what's going to happen with them. But I am convinced in my heart that these two women are just maybe someday they'll have a conversation about it, but they're just like, "No, I am Keyhill and you are Deanna now." <laughs> anyway, so Keyhill as Keyhill, Deanna as Deanna. <laughs> um so the, the, as Diana. the woman as <laughs> the woman posing as uh Keyhill uh is in the operating room and it's just like this very like I think it is very simple mm, different word uh there's a very basic reading on Gundam about war is bad and obviously yeah. like you know, you can listen to Great Gundam Project if you want to find out all the ways that reading Gundam as being about war is bad is is not a, you know, representation of what Gundam is actually about. Um, but, like, the thing, the thing um, that was so powerful about that scene is it is kind of a war is bad scene. It is kind of that, of like, oh, look, because of war, we have to do these operations and there's all this blood and pain and all this stuff. But I just think it's so much more than that because it is about, like, war does things to people. Like, it's not just that war, this general concept, it's, like, very grounded in this person was hurt. And all of these doctors, like, these doctors are no are not, you know, taking care of, like, kids with ear infections. They're here now doing this instead, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, and it's also like the scene is intensified by <clears throat> the person who is uh, acting as like a nurse in this scene mm-hmm. is actually because of the swaparoo, mm-hmm. the queen who told the like moonrace people to come down here. Yes, that then has like caused this war. Yes, like there's a certain amount of it's not just war is bad, but it is her actually having to see the effects of like her decision that is happening on like individual people every everything and then and then in that deciding i'm going to like try to help this stuff out i am going to do the dirty laundry because you know if mm. the sheets are sweaty and bloody that means that the people are alive i and i think i think this is like true to reality in a way that like a lot of media a lot of art can't ever really get to that like cause and effect are things that are blurred a little bit like everything is down like everything 
has a cause and everything has an effect and everything is downstream of one another. So like, like, you know, Keyhill being manipulated question mark or, or Deanna being manipulated question mark into the cryostasis and the, the war on earth and stuff. Um, downstream of that is her having to do laundry because like laundry needs to be done. And like, War happening does not stop laundry from needing to be done. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> also, it's important just going forward that episode 21, still the first like season basically mm-hmm. of turn A, is this core of who I think Laron is as a person, which is that I have this machine that is built to to kill people and mm. I'm going to use it to do laundry. Yes. And in the previous episode, I used it to move a cow around. I, yeah, I did not in the previous episode, I did not use it to go fight the war. And it's, it's Laurent specifically because, yeah. because Camille or Amaro would have fought the war and then looked and said, Oh, how tragic that we stomped on this woman's land. You know, mm. what a tragedy befell. Or it would have been like, we can't fight here. I'm going to, I'm going to like try to hold the line away from the farm or whatever and fight. Yes. To yes, protect it. Yes. Um, but uh, just at this point in the series, there's still time to like a push at Laurent. Yes. But like, I think a core of who he is, is I'm going to take the death weapon. Uh-huh. I'm going to take the like horrific death weapon that, uh, you know, is the Gundam mm-hmm. and all the things that that means up until this point mm-hmm. in Gundam series. Mm-hmm. And I am going to try to use it as a tool to help people. Yes. You can imagine how that gets tested, I guess. Yeah, totally. Uh, it, the thing, the thing <clears throat> is that Amaro and Camille are two protagonists um, who the, the Gundam is a way to sort of defer responsibility, you know, Oh, I, I, there's a, such an iconic Camille moment where, and Amaro has this moment too. I think Jiro has this moment of like, if you had not fought me, you would not, you would not have died. It's not my fault for using the Gundam to kill you. It's your fault for opposing the Gundam, and yeah. and the the Gundam is a way of abstracting the destruction and the responsibility for it away from themselves. Um, so far, Laurent is a protagonist who just, who is, is on some level, like, is incapable of deferring that responsibility. On some level, like, maybe, like, Laurent's gonna get fucked up by the end of this because Laurent cannot ever say, oh, the Gundam did that, not me, you know? Like, because at some point, like, like, at some point, this is a Gundam show, and the Gundam is going to kill people, I assume. Like, at some point, the, the beam rifle is going to get fired, and, and, you know, like, people will die, and all sorts of things. Like, I don't, like, um, and I, I don't think that Laurent is ever able to do that abstraction that I think is going to, you know, maybe fuck him up real bad. Yeah. Uh... Specific wording is just finding me because of something M says, but I'm gonna have that argument with M right. when I do Elf. So. Okay. Um, last thought is episode twenty two is really good because there's been a there's been a theme of disguise. Kiana's de- 
Kiana is Dehill, and Dehill is Kiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Laurent is Laura, and then ha- episode twenty-two, Harry. Um, oh, I love that man so much. Harry goes in disguise to uh, what they will at the end of this episode name the Will Game. Uh, need money, Will Game. Um, so they go to the the. He goes in disguise to save Deanna um, from, you know, the coming destruction. And there's a conversation with Luron, um, Deanna, and Harry at, where they're, like, all arguing about, no, you were in disguise first. No, that was, I wasn't in disguise. I was on a mission. Well, I'm on a mission. And it's just like, okay, so, like, we're, like... We're all aware of the theme now of disguises, and and it's interesting because you know, it's sort of what I'm talking about about um, uh, the Gundam like providing this way to to abstract yourself of uh, uh to like defer, and instead of that, like Laurent isn't really doing that, but Laurent is like, well, Laura <laughs> will go do you know blah blah yeah. blah, and yeah, everybody's running around as somebody else, literally, you know. Yeah. Like, everybody in this show seemingly is not who they appear to be. <laughs> so, yeah. Turn A. Fucking good. Yeah. You've other stuff you want to talk about, or? Uh, I, uh, Joao will be a little disappointed, I guess. I told him, um, that I would talk about Devil House on this, uh, non-homophobia zone. But I'm about at the 50% mark on Devil House. Devil House being the newest novel from John Darnielle. I will say that it is his best novel by a country mile. Um, I have had um, Wolf and White Van and uh, Universal Harvester are good, very good novels that I think are flawed in some way or don't fully realize like what he don't fully like actualize the thing that he's trying to do. I feel like Devil House, like his hand is firmly on the wheel. He knows what he's doing and he's getting there in like a really like strong way. But I'm at the 50 percent mark. For one, he could fumble the landing. I doubt that. The 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 endings are the thing he's always good at. Um, and, and two, there's no point in talking about it at the 50% mark. I'll just finish it next week and we'll, you know. Yeah. Also, we're 45 minutes into this podcast and I work at 7 in the morning. And I wanted to, like, briefly talk about bracket results. Yes, bracket results. Are we results. doing that at, at the very end of this non-homophobia zone? I think I think people have to listen to everything. And get yes, here. yes. This will be this will be the end, and this then is, we'll start the actual. Yes, podcast. yes. So the official rankings. We do not. I don't have your email addresses. Yeah. Um. There's there's um, on on my page because I'm the tournament organizer. Um. Uh, I I see a f- column where email addresses are, and they are blurred out. So I and not everybody put their name in here, but I'll just read the ranking. Yeah. Of um of uh, who placed there, where? There are a couple where I think I know who it is. Yes, there are a couple who I think I know who it is, and there's a couple people who just put their name in there. Yeah, but we're just gonna read the ranking. Number one, Liam gives it a go. I'm assuming this is Liam. Yeah, hi Liam. You won. Uh, it was a close. It's a close race. It's interesting. Liam got um seventy seventy picks right, but the picks that they got right were um in the final rounds and so they got way more points off those picks yeah uh to get into 163 whereas uh Juo non-asian cinema found dead in Miami I assume yeah and I'm Juo. I'm guessing that Lieutenant won't get nearly this far but I'm rooting for her is Cam 
That's got to be Cam. I'm pretty sure that's Cam. That's got to be Cam. So, so Zhuo has 78 picks right. Cam has 74. But because they didn't get those like last couple rounds right, um, their uh, <clears throat> uh, fewer points, uh, Zhuo with 157 and Cam with 141. I will say Liam and Cam, mm-hmm. I think, are the only two people who got uh, Pastoral in the final four. Yes, yes. And in fact, uh, I went through more than half of people had Pastoral get knocked out in the very first round. It's crazy. Um, like, I I don't think... Um, let me see what it was What it was against. I'm trying to remember. I think Zhuo had it go a little bit. Yeah, Zhuo. Yeah, people had, people had... The Matrix the... reloaded. I just don't care about the Matrix like that. Yeah. Like, y'all must be listening to, like... like you almost like, be listening M was to number other four, podcasts. and I know like M got it knocked out first first round. Yeah, um, and I, I talked to them after the last time we recorded Elf, mm-hmm. um, and they were like, "That was just one where I I didn't know what that movie was." Uh, people should fucking watch that movie. It's funny M did have it right that uh, Lane would beat uh, Skinnamarink. Um, I feel like I don't know, and it's inconsequential, but I feel like that's something that most people would have gotten wrong. No, I think M put Skinnamarink in here. Oh, M did put Skinnamarink. Oh, yeah. okay. I see. I understand here. So the little check is showing okay. uh, which when... one won. Yeah, okay. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we want to like a quick run through and have some general impression. Mm. I know the, the few things that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. One is the number of people who just didn't have Pastoral go at all. Yeah. If people like Utena, fucking watch Pastoral. Yes. Um... You could also watch uh, Throw Away Your Books Rally in the Streets. You'd also watch Grass Labyrinth. Um, Ikuni fucking loves Kariyama Shuji. Yeah. Like, very deeply. There is a reason why the music in Utena is by that guy and Mm -hmm. sounds like that. Kariyama Shuji. There's, like, direct references in Utena to uh, Pastoral to Die in the Country. Um, so, but so, also if you go into it, just expecting it to be like Utena, it's not really like Utena is like magical girl anime fused with this other weird thing. A lot of the weird parts of Utena is more coming out of a Hirayama Shuji yeah. perspective. But like M had in the final four, smooth talk, Sonatina in the mood for love cure. I feel like there's like, if we did this bracket on a different day. This would have shook out like that, you know? Yeah. I, the big thing that was the upset for so many people, and the, I listened to the podcast oh, oh, today. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to the podcast today, and I could hear the shock in my own voice. Mm. We got to Diatron 5 versus Paris, Texas. Yeah. And you said, and you apologized to the audience, to everybody who submitted brackets. I, I, I fucked all of you. Like, I fucked all of you over by doing this. Yeah. And I was just assuming... Like, I was looking at it, and I was like, Paris, Texas is going to go the distance. Diatron 5 might. If Autumn's not into us, like, jokingly putting, kind of jokingly, putting Diatron 5. It's a movie that's, like, deeply important to me in, like, a, I've watched it with so many friends. Uh, it was technically the first movie that we watched together, um, like, years before the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, like, an, an important movie in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's not like a good movie. 
<laughs> it's my favorite bad movie. Yeah. It's a really fucking exceptional bad movie. Yeah. Just incredible as like a... That thing where you people watch a bad movie and, and laugh about it and people will be like, oh, let's watch the Garfield movie. And it's like, no, that's actually going to be kind of a bad time. Yeah. Whereas all of Micro Commando Diatron 5 is going to be a good time. Mm. It's not a good movie, but you are going to have fun the entire yes. time you watch it. Yes. Um, Am I lying when I say that like Micro Commando Diatron 5 is better than Paris, Texas? Like, yeah, kind of. Like, yeah, kind of. But also, like... We really like Micro Commander Diatron 5. Yeah. We just really like it. It's very special. And so, but when you did that, I was just in disbelief that I didn't fight it at all. I didn't know, like, I I was just the, expecting the, the it would thing be that happened, And was, I just let it happen. The thing that happened was, I anticipated you jokingly saying it. So, I got out ahead of it, and I was like, what if we did this? And then you didn't push back at all, and I was like... Because I was so... I, I, I measured in myself. I'm like, am I committed to this? Am I ready to do this? And I was like, Paris yeah. This is like your favorite movie. Yeah. You watched it like five times in the first day you watched it. Meow, meow. I'm exaggerating slightly. Slightly. It was like four times Marginally. in the first two days or something. <laughs> Marginal exaggeration. <laughs> um. So so M, M, had, M had... Looking at the final four anyway, it's like... Just just the wrong day of the week to like do this, I think, because like um I do I feel like I do believe in my heart that in the mood for love would not have made it this far. I I just know stuff would have knocked it out sooner for me. I the thing is if I did this bracket by myself in the mood for love would have gotten this far. Yeah. I think it's you it's not that you don't like in the mood for love as much as me. It's that like it's that in the I'm mood just gonna for love, push for the underdog more. Yeah, in the mood for love is really special to me, and you're like, oh yeah, that's one of my favorite movies. Like like you, yeah. you're like, oh that's a five star movie, and I'm like, no, in the mood for love is like one of the best movies ever. Made. But it's also like everybody on fucking Letterbox knows it. Yeah, that's part of this. Yeah, totally. Not everybody on Letterbox knows that Pastoral to Die in the Country is one of the best goddamn movies. That's so true. Now the next one on this list, search your feelings. Um, you'll notice that Micro Commander Diatron Five is in is in there. Uh, this is Nora, right? Now, I'm not saying that I told Nora, yeah, Micro Commando Diatron 5 beat Paris, Texas. I'm not saying that I fed my wife information. Clearly, that's not true, because she still only got fifth place on the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, clearly, I wasn't helping her that much. But I might have I might have told her, yeah, we put Micro... The other thing is Nora was in the room when we watched and recorded that. Yeah, yeah. Nora is the one person, like, because uh, when we did the Diatron 5 app, like, you all heard us just live reacting. That's just what that episode was. We were watching the movie and just, like, reacting, you know. But Nora was there. <laughs> yeah. Also, Nora, remember Nora put on Tekaman right after? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget about that part. Um... um Hunter coming in. It's it's weird that Rebels of the Neon God didn't go as far as it should have. It's like weird the ways in which Rebels of the Neon God. There was something it went up against that just uh, I felt really bad when I had to say bye to it. I don't remember what it was. Uh, let me look at this. This person has Rebels of the Neon God against. Oh, was it Tetsuo? No, because Tetsuo went up against. Um, Tetsuo was up against Dawn of the Dead, which it apps well. No, because Tetsuo... Here, here, go back. So Tetsuo back. was up against Sonatine. Sonatine won. Okay. So I think... And then Sonatine would have won against whatever happened here. 
Yeah. Okay. Which was probably. Um, Lane? You can just go, you can just go no, back Robin and look B. at Hood. the bra- bracket we did. Yeah. You can just yeah. go look at the bracket. I know, but I mean <laughs> I'm in here now. Um but no, so it, it I think it was it lost to, to Sonatine maybe. That that sounds right. That that just feel that feels like a real coin flip. It feels like you could ask any day of the week yeah. and I'd be like, "No, nah, it wasn't the got actually." But like Oh no, it lost to Persona. That's that's, it. that's the other thing that I meant it was to very address early. is that People did have an unfair disadvantage of we haven't actually done a Persona episode. So, like, I feel like people don't know. I feel like you and me know, but I feel like people don't know. Does that make sense? Like, just how how fucking good. I mean, Persona came in second. Like, that's Persona is fucking incredible, dude. Um. I do appreciate, uh, th- so that's, that's Hunter in sixth with, uh, Rebels of the Neon God in Paris, Texas, uh, uh, in, in one and two, which I just feel, I just yeah, feel bad. Goodbye Dragon just... Inn was, was a pretty good run. Yeah. Um, Hunter also has Itumama Tambien in fourth place, which is just, I don't, I like Itumama Tambien. That's like a four star movie. Yeah. I think the other thing that threw people off is there's some movies that we talk about more than others. Yeah. And some of it is that it's just like, it's fun to do the Dune joke. Yeah, it's really... I, f- <laughs> I don't have the pastoral joke. Yeah. It's one of the greatest... And that's the other thing is, uh, I think, like, pastoral beat Tokyo Drifter, and some people were surprised by that. Yeah. Because we talk about Tokyo Drifter all the time. Yeah. But I talk about Tokyo Drifter all the time because that's a very good episode, because that's a movie that I, like, fully understand. I know what that, that movie is doing. I can talk about what that movie is doing. I think it's really good and illustrative for what I'm talking about when I talk about the aesthetics of cinema or the erotics of cinema, like uh, this specific mode of like making films, because it is a thing that is so much about just like eschewing other interpretation and being about the image. Hmm. And I just know that about it. And there's, it's sort of static in my head like that pastoral is like this beast that like I think about all the time, but I'm not talking about on the podcast because I'm constantly grappling with what the fuck is that movie? Mm -hmm. What, what do I make of it? Yeah. I've watched it so many times and I still don't entirely know what to make of it. And that's why I love it. That's why I made it all the way. Yeah. But it's also, I'm not talking about that one all the time being like, people should go back and listen to that episode because I I didn't solve that movie in that episode in the way that I felt like I solved Tokyo Drifter in that episode. Well, and also that episode is um, solved is a bad word, but um, you know, yeah, that episode Tokyo Drifter is also a movie that I had seen like three or four times. I had not seen Tokyo Drifter as much, but I came into the Tokyo Drifter episode being like like ready to go. Whereas yeah. the pastoral episode, I've seen that movie once, and we recorded that episode like an hour after we watched yeah, the movie or something so. like we rolled right into it and and you were like, still like so I, I up against what did i just experience yeah yeah like i just i did not have my head around it it's a it's a it, yeah a similar experience on a much smaller scale with cure where i watched cure and i was like that was a great movie what the hell was that like like yeah. trying to figure out what the hell cure was and then in the months since where I can just sit with it, I'm like, oh, wow, that was really special, you know, yeah. to, to where maybe that doesn't come through on the episode, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a, a movie that is going to like sit with me and unsettle me and that I'm going to watch again and see entirely different things in it um, that I'll have general ideas about. But those general 
so like also uh Skinner Rink and Pastoral are both like movies that are talking about trauma stuff that I relate to. Mm. But Skinner Rink does it in such a like simple way where I'm like, that was an easy cry. Mm-hmm. That made me cry in a very easy way. Uh-huh. That even like Serial Experiments Lane does not get the easy cry, but is more like weird and uh, unruly about the sorts of like isolation and neglect I dealt with as a kid. I've been thinking a lot about revisiting Lane. Yeah. I'm just going to come clean about that. I've been like thinking about Lane some and I'm like, do I need to give Lane another shake? Yeah. Do I need to like, do I need to like get right with Jesus and like give Lane another chance? Uh, let's keep moving through these. Um, I've listened to less than 10 stairwells episodes and I've never seen a movie and I'm drunk. And this person has his motorbiker island winning the winning the whole bracket. That, that I'm might... with you in spirit, whoever yeah. you are. <laughs> I really I wish I wish I could have I wish I could have made the case for his motorbiker island going all the way because on some level his motorbiker island is the best movie ever made. <laughs> I respect this. I respect it being here. And then the other ones are like Paris, Texas, Persona, Tokyo Drifter. Yeah, all of those on any given day could have ended up in the four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? um, Rick's prediction, Rick uh, done dirty by... Oh, okay, so one of these, we did Rick dirty because Angels, in the Uni- Angels of the Universe... Oh, I typed the name wrong. Yeah. Angels of the Universe should have gone farther than it did. Angels of the Universe is uh, is uh, no question like top four in this bracket material. Like you know, if the seating was different, if yeah. you know, if this had gone this way, like I don't think I would have changed any of my picks. But Angel of the Universe is like a really exceptional movie that like could have gone farther with different. Oh yeah, it 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 hit smooth talk and like what are you gonna do? Yeah, like what are you gonna do? Um, smooth talk is just gonna like body anything. Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, but, 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 just to roast, just to roast Rick. Or lightly. it may have actually hit Funeral Parade of Roses, another thing that I'm just yeah going to, like, promote, because I think it's exceptional. Yeah. Well, and also, like, Funeral Parade of Roses versus Wings of Desire is genuinely, I think, the worst round one matchup. Yeah. But, but, to roast Rick lightly... Rick also had The Empire Strikes Back in our final four, and, like, come on. I like The Empire Strikes Back. It's not one of the four best movies we've talked about on this podcast. It's funny how it goes up against Wrath of Khan, another movie that would just get knocked out so much. (laughs) Look at all these other things that would knock Ocean's a lot. I mean, it got knocked out by Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, but, like, even if that didn't happen, uh, Ocean's Eleven would knock it out here. Uh, hmm... Hmm. Okay. Ocean's me- Eleven versus the Wrath of Khan is tough. I, yeah, I could give tough. it to Wrath of Khan. Uh, Wrath of Khan versus Lady Snowblood or Perfect Blue or Wild at Heart. Yeah, I don't think Wrath of Khan is beating any of those three movies. I really like yeah, it's Wrath got of Khan. Man- I- it's not beating Manhunter, which is we didn't, didn't even make it that far for us. But like, it's not beating Pastoral. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> um, there's very few movies that could have beat. Uh-huh. There's some that could have, if they like went head to head. But go back. Um, last the last couple here. Alexis also did The Empire Strikes Back, which is just. Yeah. I I think that like, I I was talking to. We should have just recorded this thing after mm-hmm. Alf, where I was talking to to M, uh, and they're like, I can never quite tell to what degree. 
Because they, like, understand the way that I like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's, like, a thing that I liked as a kid that I still have this kind of affection for. But it's, like, at a remove, I feel distanced from it. You know? Mm-hmm. I still have this connection, but it's not going to, like, win things. Uh-huh. Uh, <clears throat> and they were just, like, I don't know where Autumn falls between, like, that and then, like, Nora just loves Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And is it just, like, the inertia of, like... Nora loves Star Wars that you're just kind of constantly along for the ride, mm-hmm. but you're a little bit more like me where you kind of have this childhood affection for it for a different part of Star Wars. Yours is probably more prequels, whereas mine is the original series. Yes. Maybe. No. I can, I can walk you through my Star Wars history. Yeah. So I, obviously I got in with the prequels. Like obviously like I got in with the prequels. I got in specifically with the video games. Um, and specifically the, like, PS2 GameCube games, yeah. your Jedi Outcast, your Battlefront, um, those were the big ones, but there was other stuff. The Just Revenge Pod of the Racers? Sith. Uh, no, not as much Pod Racers, but Rogue Revenge. Squadron. Yeah, Rogue Squadron. Jedi Starfighter. Um, Rogue Squadron was the shit. Yeah, Rogue Squadron was the fucking shit, dude. That that get, that game fucking whips. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I, definitely, I definitely played... Pod racer at other people's houses, but I never had a sixty-four. So, yeah. but I definitely played my fair, my share of pod racer. Um, uh, there's other stuff. Um, I don't need to belabor it all. Um, <clears throat> so I definitely got in with the prequels. Um, but so I went through. My dad and I had some conflict because um. I was very into Star Wars. I was very into like Aragon and fantasy novels. And I think when I turned 10 or 11 years old, my dad was like, you're too grown up to be reading fantasy novels. Um, and throughout all my, all my fantasy novels, got rid of all my Star Wars stuff. And there was like a time where he sort of like, I was like, Oh, I guess I'm too grown up for those things. And I have to like, I, this is how I ended up reading a clockwork orange in seventh grade. Um, yeah. So thanks, Dad, for that. <laughs> um, this was how I was. Uh, I remember in eighth grade, I read seven Kurt Vonnegut novels within two months, um, which is in some ways a great time to read Kurt Vonnegut novels. Like it's, I, I would not trade that experience for the world. But in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be reading fantasy novels, and here I was. You know. Um, anyway, so. During that time, I was like, mm, Star Wars is a thing I liked as a child, but now I'm 13, and Star Wars is stupid and bad, and I don't yeah. like Star Wars anymore. And then, um, when... So, the... the uh, What's it called? The Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. Came out my first year of college, and I remember shortly before The Force Awakens comes came out, I was like, let me rewatch all these movies. Let me just, because I realized what had happened of like, I went through this process as a kid of being told the thing I liked was stupid and just believing that. And um, I, I just, I was like, let me just reassess this. Let me just start from scratch. And I watched the original trilogy and I just was like, oh, the original trilogy, these are just better movies than the, than the prequels. You know, I was just like, well, these, these are just better made. And I didn't like really think about it. It was when Nora and I started dating and I, and, and watching the Clone Wars, like Nora 
didn't like get me back into Star Wars. Nora never sat down and said, let's be into Star Wars together. But Nora's enthusiasm for the parts of Star Wars that I did actually grow up with, like the Nora just having a, an unbroken love for the same types of Star Wars shit that I did love as a child brought it back in a really big way. Brought it back in a really, really big way, you know, yeah. um, to where I feel like I've always been this person who was like, the prequels are the good shit. I feel like I was always this way, but I know that like culture happened to me and there was like 10 years where I was like, no, the prequels are stupid. Meh, 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 meh. You know? Yeah. Um, I, okay. Can I, can I complain very briefly? Sure. I have seen a take online from friends, from people I don't know, from acquaintances, that the prequels are good is a revisionist take. That, oh, no one actually thought the prequels were good back in the day. You're all just like saying this to be contrarian. No, motherfucker, I'm not. I watched the movies as a kid and I liked them. I watched the movies as a 26-year-old and I fucking liked them. I don't make up opinions for for clout. Yeah. I don't pretend to like movies because I think it'll make me interesting. It, also, you know what would make me very popular online? If I also just hated the prequels. It, it turns out there's a lot of money in hating the prequels. <laughs> why, if I was going to make up an opinion to have, why would it be the Star Wars prequels are good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, we should do the episode. Yeah. We've been doing this for an hour and five minutes. Um, it's fine. This is gonna be more post homophobic or like non homophobic zone than actual than podcast. actual podcast. But yeah, um, I will say, uh, just looking at I Crystal's would I would four. love to know how Crystal ended up so low. Yeah, because her final four looks perfectly fine to me. I think it was just a lot of like the ones where it could have gone either way. Just sometimes going the wrong way. Yeah, like she did. She did a deep cover over house. Sorry, like I don't. I don't know. Ask yeah. me at another day. Deep cover would have beaten house. Ah, eh, I don't think there's a day where deep cover beats house. But that is a really rough first round matchup. Yeah. Um. Uh. Okay. Okay. Only. I know. I know what happened. I can see what happened here. Is that for some ungodly reason? Oh yeah. <laughs> Let Me Die a Woman made it into the round three. Um, what what world are you living in, Crystal? Where Let Me Die... We didn't finish the movie. Yeah. It's the one movie we didn't finish. Like, extremely the worst movie we, we watched. Extremely. The, the joke I had in my head when uh, originally the matchup was against Force Awakens is... Uh, I can stomach the the droid slave auction a little bit more. <laughs> um like Yeah, or 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 but but like then you also have like Crystal had Jurassic Park beating more in the pocket. That's just a totally fair guess. She had Mikey and Nikki beating Tokyo Godfathers. Totally fair guess. You were just wrong. Like that shit just happens. Yeah, Blue Velvet beating uh, his motorbike, her island. Uh, really could have gone that way. Crystal did not accurately anticipate the David Lynch burnout. Yeah, David Lynch uh, burnout is definitely in effect. Yes, it's part of what affected it, and I think threw a lot of people off. Yes, yes. I think, 
I think if we were not in the midst of a little David Lynch burnout, um, which maybe we need to find a way to get over because... Um, Both of us forgot to watch Twin Peaks this week. Well, more importantly, all the movies are hitting Criterion in April, and I don't know how long they'll be there, so part of me is like, we need to fucking hustle so I can just watch these on streaming and be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and then Alexis came in dead last, and sorry, Alexis, you were just wrong about so many things. Yeah. Alexis had Citizen Kane, Blue Velvet, and the Empire Strikes Back in the final four. I'm sorry, Alexis, you were simply wrong. Yeah. Son of Tine, good, good, uh, horse to put your money on, you know? But Sonatine, great, like, if I was just gonna, if you were gonna ask me off the top of my head, I'd be like, mm, I guess Sonatine would probably win this bracket. I don't know, sure. Like, if, yeah. I, if I hadn't done the bracket yet and you were just asking me to pick a winner, I'd be like, eh, probably Sonatine yeah, or something. that makes sense. But, like, just so off the mark in having um, Citizen Kane beat Adolescence of Utena, because I remember we were just immediately like, well, obviously Adolescence of Utena. Orson Welles does not transform into a car. <laughs> yeah. there, There's a an Orson Welles movie that we like more on here. Yeah. He didn't direct it, but he's in it for like five minutes, and they're fucking electric five minutes, so. <sighs> Man. It is a bit of a comedy thing that, like, Citizen Kane just... Citizen Kane chumped out by anime. <laughs> Citizen um, Kane round one knockout by anime. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I feel like at some point you might do the the export one with Nora. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to say anything, but my to to listeners, even though Star Wars like did not make it out of the first round here, I would put more money on Star Wars for that one. Yeah, yeah, and. Because I also think some of it is just, like, when you're with Nora, you're going to be way more excited about Star Wars. Yeah. You're going to, like, match the energy. I do need to... Listeners, I, if we do... If slash when we do the the uh, the export version of this, the export, pardon my franchise, Pop Town version of this, mm-hmm. I'll give you a hint and I'll say, The Empire Strikes Back might maybe possibly make it out of round one. Star Wars, I will be shocked if A New Hope is not in the final four. That's I the... don't think Nora would allow me yeah. to let anything be. Also, also, just the quality of movie is going to... <laughs> like, oh man, I really have to choose between A New Hope or Dragons, Fire and Ice. Damn. Fuck. Hmm. Really, really tough picking between Darth Vader yeah. and... They're just, they're just playing in the same space and Star Wars is winning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, if any of them, I, if I was doing the bracket, the, the only Star Wars movie I would expect to move forward outside of like, you know, matchup stuff would be the Star Wars. And you, uh-huh. yeah, uh, we, we love Empire Strikes Back in this way that we have a chip on our shoulder about it because our friends don't like it, mm-hmm. but like not in a way where that actually translates to, we think it's a good movie. Yeah. Like that much. I mean, I do. It's a good movie, but like, I mean, like, the moment it encounters any film noir, it's just toast. The the problem is that like, and everybody, society agrees that Empire Strikes Back is great. If it's specifically just with our friends that we have this weird chip on our shoulder of like, oh, the romance is fine. My (laughs) the weird thing for me is, if I if I'm just going off the top of my head, I'm like, oh yeah, The Empire Strikes Back. That's like my second favorite Star Wars movie. 
And then you're like, oh, well, it's your first. And I'm like, well, obviously it's uh, A New Hope. Well, mm, it might be Revenge of the Sith. Well, okay, so it's Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope and then Empire. Oh, but y you know what? Actually, I do really like Attack of the Clones. Mm, you know, The Last Jedi, I've cooled on it a lot, but it might be better. Like, I can suddenly come up with, like, and suddenly The Empire Strikes Back is, like, number six on my list, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we just have a weird chip on our shoulder because all of our friends, like, extremely hate it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we're done here. I hope you enjoyed this extra long non-homophobia zone. Bye. Thanks for stopping. Bye. Nora said to me the other day that she'd never heard of the non-homophobia zone until like a week ago. And she felt like she was getting like gaslit because we just made up a segment that never existed before. And I'm like, you just don't listen to the podcast, babe. Yeah. It's been here. It's been here.